Welcome to the show today. Today we're going to be talking to Justin Dietrich. He is a high flyer. I think what 63 frames is the highest you've ever been. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And frames in a nutshell. What what exactly is that? We don't have to get into a complete thing, but you know, if you're seeing the clip in the video, it is a guy going 25 feet in the air. It seems like. And what exactly is a frame for those that don't know? Well, I'll I'll try to break it down real short. Um, basically, we're counting frames of a video clip. And it's so based in like 30 frames a it's second? based off of 30 frames per second. Um, all the cameras pretty much now are 60 pretty reasonably. And then you can get some good ones that will go to 240 without getting crazy expensive. But um, so basically we just count how long it takes from the wing exiting the water to where it first hits the water. And so you can use that to mathematically calculate how high you're, how high you went probably within inches it's probably not a hundred percent but um we don't calculate it um, right but so we just count frames so uh, like when you hear somebody say 45 frames it's not 45 feet right um, right right 45 frames is like nine feet well so, i ha i have seen tons and tons of footage of you know obviously it has to be the most terrifying moment does that ever slow down for you when you're that high in the air uh no it doesn't really like everything's hypersensitive you know when you do anything like that um, like a car crash yeah yeah like your brain just kind of goes into auto auto mode and auto corrects stuff faster than you can consciously do it um usually you realize it after the fact but um you can kind of feel like once you take off like when i did my very first 63 i could feel the thump in the handle it was super smooth. Like the landing was on point. There wasn't anything that felt hard about the trick. That's like, crazy. So it was just, it was an easy, but you can, you could, I could feel it in the handle and in the ski that that one was a big one. So I wanted to get an awful lot into dark side. I mean, if you are into this sport, the concept dark side, I, I think that I've found every little niche of rider. Someone mentions it. Someone talks about the concept of how to, jump in the dark side. And I would say you probably among uh, a couple others, I guess, have kind of more or less patented or, you know, use this phrase to talk about your jumping concept. Is that correct? Yeah. So Jake Bradley, another pro hydrofoiler has been riding since he was peanut man. He kind of coined it off of a pro wakeboarder, I think called it the dark side. And I think he just called hydrofoiling in general, the dark side, but um, Jake, took that and used it as um, a technique that him and Ben Fernie uh, perfected. And um, I kind of feel like I was just kind of the third in line to rip, maybe say that I dialed it in. Um, I studied a lot of video myself and a lot of video of them and how it works. And it was a, it took me a long time. Like uh, I started wanting to go big in probably 2009 after um getting really comfortable on the ski started skiing in 2007 really and um saw jake bradley do a monster i think it was a 56 frame air roll at the 2007 nationals in colorado and i happened to be standing waist deep in the water and he practically jumped over me and it was pretty spectacular to see especially as somebody that was really fresh into the sport no ramp no jump yeah, yeah like dude just went like 20 feet in the air and you know i just kind of one of those people like i'm gonna do that 
Yeah, like, I can relate. I, I I've been watching some guys go mid fifties here on our lake, and it's as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Well, uh, I'm going to figure that out." Yeah, so um, I didn't figure it out because I worked on it and worked on it, and and I thought I had it figured out, and I would I got into the fifties and kind of stalled out about fifty three. Um, the first time I broke in the fifties was a fifty two, and um, one day I had an aha moment. And I, and I figured out the difference of, of basically what I was doing, which was moving my weight behind the T-bar to initiate a flip uh, versus using the dark side. So the dark side in a nutshell, though, it's uh, for anyone that's starting out new, you know, there's two different types of jump methods. From my experience, it seems as though if you're going a little bit slower, you have less line tension. You've kind of got this longer V style dip that's all the way down, all the way up. And you have, you know, almost the spin is initiated from this longer V, right? And the dark side concept in a nutshell, you know, we'll drop in some footage, but you know, you're basically going as hard as you possibly can and then you load the ski and it elevates nearly simultaneously. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, when you, what happens with the V dip is that people, they'll cut out hard and they'll put a lot of effort and energy into building a lot of speed. And then before they throw their trick, they stop cutting. And um, now they're just coasting and the line has got like a, a, a little bit of a, a, a drag in it, like a loop. Um, because they're no longer against that line. And when that happens, you have to drag your shoulders forward to keep the ski from coming up. And then so you have to push really hard on your feet to get your chest up, right? Because you're already hunched over to keep it down. Right. Um, and so that's that V. It's like I got I to gotta like push on my feet really hard to come back up and then bring my knees up. And, um, for a long time, like back when I was reading the forums, that was like the go-to to to go big. And how big could you get on that? Like, what did you feel like your peak was? I I mean, I, I never broke 50 with the view dip. It wasn't until I started incorporating, um, more of the dark side, which is a little bit more of a check mark. So like, if you want to say like the V dip kind of looks like a V, like if you follow the path of your feet, almost, you know what I mean? Yes. Um, the check mark would be more like a reverse check mark, though. Like you come in long and then super steep up. And so that's kind of where I started my path was trying to um, get the ski super steep without killing all that cut speed I just built up. And um, the dark side's really, it's, it's, it's pretty advanced because everything in hydrofoiling starts with line management. Well, the checklist is what, 27 bullets before you can even attempt it? I mean, more or less? Well, not necessarily, but like you've got to have a fundamental like to the point to where you're cutting with your arms straight. So your arms are out and they're straight and you're using your body to absorb the boat movements instead of your arms. So when you're skiing, you're like doing this instead of this. So your arms stay out and you use your body to absorb anything that comes out of the boat and you're locked into the line and you're locked into the ski and you have a bunch of foot pressure to maintain your flight height. 
And that's like step one is basically learning how to do that. So when you, when you start there, so if you were to take out a piece of paper and you're like, okay, I'm going to walk somebody through this process. I want you to leave here and you're going to get on a ski tomorrow and you want to understand it. Let's say that you've got a pretty decent idea of line tension. I think that most everybody could probably brush up on straight arms. I mean, it's very easy to absorb the boat with straight arms. It's kind of a constant challenge. I would think that even you as you're going, I mean, it's just very easy to let the elbow break a little bit, right? Well, and if the boat is moving more than you can absorb with your, with your core, then you, you have to soak some of that up. Right. And, but that's, you know, that in essence is what's going to lose you the maximal potential of, of air. Right. I mean, you, you're gonna take a little bit of it out. I mean, just like a slalom skier and a wakeboarder, there's nothing wrong with some glass, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like it really makes smooths the boat out. It makes the line super predictable. Um, like if you're in a comp and you go through some chop from a boat going by and you're loaded up and you get a weird pull, it does some really, wacky stuff you say wacky i say painful i say painful i always end be. up in the the wrong place for sure it can, it can be for sure yeah like and especially when you're you know sometimes like i run most of the time I, i'm reusing a tower extension and so if the boat's moving through some water it's accentuated with that tower extension so how much like, does that help is that a just a, a style thing or does it actually give you more air if you know how to utilize it is it a big factor uh you know it's funny it's because it's like some people will be like oh you know you used a cheater tower to you know get the world record or whatever um but i've been 58 frames on an air roll on a low tower and i've been 58 on half on a cheater tower a tower extension so it's like Maybe it's worth a half. Doesn't it kind you know? of uh, almost, isn't it the perfect storm for maximal potential anyway for that specific flip? You know what I mean? Like it's kind of got to be right. It's got to be the right wave condition. It's got to be the right cut speed. You kind of, ma- you got it all right there. I mean, yeah, there's, <laughs> we'll, when we go, we'll dive into like the optimum conditions for going like crazy monster big. Um, cause I really feel like there are some optimum com- conditions that kind of need to be met and you can probably deviate a little bit here or there from one or another based on like, you know, maybe you've got an extra 10 people in the boat. So then you don't need, you know, the water to be perfect cause you've got, you know, an extra big wake to, to send it off of. But, um, there are like, when you start chasing frames, um, you looking at equipment and not only the ski, but like my line and obviously the boat and then the boat speed and, you know, the kind of water you're in, water temperatures, wind, which, 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 which way the wind's coming from. Is it blowing right. in my face? Um, so there's a lot of stuff that goes into account when you're talking about chasing frames. Um, but when you're just training for like the dark side and like, or, or anything like that, like you don't need those optimum conditions. I mean, sure. water's wet. And as long as it's not frozen, like send it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's kind of dive into it. Let's start kind of building a little bit of uh, what would be the base level technique. If you were, let's say at the wake first, and then we'll kind of move into the air tricks, but uh, let's just try to break down the movement to where someone 
if I put up your video on uh, YouTube, you have an awesome breakdown of it, arcs through the dip, you point out many different things. Let's kind of go through as if we were both visualizing that video. I'll put it in the podcast as well so that people can actually see it. But, you know, your first scene is when you're cutting in and the cutback is... I have been struggling greatly with turning the corner with a ton of line tension. Sure. If I could jump in the middle of the wake, I'd be ready to go. You know what I mean? But to jump on time, I feel like step one, how do you accomplish the proper line? And don't get me wrong, I've never been as high as you, but I'm starting to really understand racing across the way, getting out into the flats with a tremendous amount of line tension and really practicing the idea of that quick feet, move it forward, keep forward. I understand what to do. Um, but at the wake, how do you get the line right when you turn the corner? Any, any suggestions with technique? So, all right. The, I call that the switch. All right. Um, a quick definition. The switch would be like when you switch from one side of your body to the other. Like you're on two different edges of the ski, right? Yeah, I, I blow it. So that there's part. the yes. switch. So, <laughs> uh, basically, like this, the switch is just timing. Um, if you try to cut when you're on cut and you're cutting away from the boat, like out into the flats, you're going faster than the boat, right? And no matter where you're at on the pendulum cut, like on that pendulum where you're on cutting on that swing of the rope. If you are moving through that arc, you are going faster than the boat. And if you try to switch when you are going faster than the boat, you're going to ride up the line. So you have to wait until you slow down to where the optimum time to switch is when you're going the exact same speed as the boat. If you're going a little bit faster, you can kind of compensate a little bit because like when I do my bigger weight stuff, if I'm wide, 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 I will cut out. And then when I let go, I'll let go with my outside arm. And that way, when I switch, I have all of this to bring that line back into this side. So I have a lot of line that I can pull myself into if I ride up that, that rope a little bit, cause I, I, I went a little bit too early. Um, Going after you've slowed down is easy because now you're still on edge to maintain your position on that arc. And when you're maintaining position on that pendulum arc, you're going the same speed as the boat. So you're ready to switch. Um, so would you so suggest it, that someone go out there and just stay on edge and then see if you can hold that position and like that's the optimal place to cut back uh, if you were kind of trying to drill it in a sense? Yeah, so like if, you, if you're trying to go, like if you're chasing frames, then you want as much uh, time to build speed along that arc towards the wake. And it gets really hard to sit out there and maintain like boat speed on edge right that far out because you don't have a lot of forward line tension and it takes a lot of energy and you usually end up drifting back and yes. then the further back along that arc that you get the less time you have to set up towards the weight so what would uh so is the one hand like really work for you you're that's that's definitely something you would coach yeah, or so um like al said on his like if you want to go 
uh, get yourself a little bit of extra time to set up towards the wake. Um, and with that time, you can also build cut speed. Uh, I go out really hard. Like I'm going to go as far out as I can. I want to try to pass the boat. So I rail out there as hard as I can. And then I lift on my cut because I've got to basically slow down to boat speed before I can switch back. Right. So if I'm cutting out there at 35 mile an hour and the boat's going 25 mile an hour, I got 10 mile an hour to kill before I can switch. And usually what I do to mate, so, so I slow down faster, I'll put the board on the water. So, and that puts on the brakes faster. So I'm slowing down wide. Like I've cut all this energy to go super wide. I want to slow down as fast as I can reasonably before I switch back in. So I'm, I'm still out there because as you coast, there's a point to where you might start going slower than the boat and you've killed some of your arc. Right. So yeah, you get out there, like tap your feet on the, on the water a couple times to kill some speed. If your arms out wide, that way, when you switch, if you went a little early, you can kind of soak that up. Um, and the other thing is, is like, again, we're, we're getting used to cutting with our arms straight. So if my arm is out and I've got that handle out and I've slowed myself down, when I go to do that switch, like I'm going to bring that back across and then re-grab with this hand and this arm's hopefully going to be straight, right? This yeah. arm's going to be straight because I'm leaning against it. And so hopefully I get this arm straight and then this one will bend in because basically you're on that arc. So this right. one will always have a little bend in. That one will be straight and you're locked in and you're using a little bit of that core to soak it up. And then you have all the extra amount of time to set yourself up for going early at the wake. And at that point, are you trying to rise the ski, lower the ski, or is it similar to just railing out? You're trying to be at a nice level close to the water so that you can do that, you know, dark side yeah, method at the so wake, correct? Like a slalom skier, if you like lay the ski over and you're high on the ski, the wing's going to come out of the water, cavitate, lose lift, pow, yeah. you're done. So I tend to do my switches really low in the water. Um, so I can be as aggressive as I want without the wing coming out. And it's, it's kind of like a slalom skier. Like once you switch over and you just lock your core into place and it's go time. Like, right. I got a buddy of mine that I've known my darn near my entire life. Like, uh, everybody knows him by gorilla, big guy. Um, we were out on the water one day. And he likes to go big and he works on it a little bit. You know, he's a very uh, recreational skier, doesn't compete or anything, but he does, you know, he's been 50 frames, but he wants to uh, go bigger. He pushes himself. And he asked me, he's like, like, what do I got to do to like go a little bit bigger? And I'm like, well, you just need to cut in a little harder for step number one. And so we talked about just what I just explained the whole thing. And I said, now when you do your switch and you cut back in, I want you to lean against that line as hard as you can and go as hard as you can at that wake. <laughs> and then when you think it's time to go, you should have probably already gone because that's usually how it works. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Right? But then you then you do your, your all your typical stuff, your arc through the dip and your dock side and all that kind of stuff. But that whole cutting into the process, like if you really lay into it, you can build a lot of speed really fast. So 
he went out there, cut out wide, did everything, cut in and just leaned into it and railed at the wake. He went through the wake, did not pull the trigger. He went through the wake, shook his head, did a trick, whatever, crashed. It came around and I was like, that point where you were scared, that's when you go. And what and did he say? He's no like, bueno. Nope. nope. <laughs> and that was that. That was that. That was the end of it. Like, he's like, I just, I, I cannot. He's like, I don't think I could ever tell myself to go right there. Yeah. And that's, that's what it is. It's like, you just, you're not, it's water. You're not going to get hurt that bad. Yeah. Um, you know, well, there's you some of those things too, though. Like, uh, I've been flirting with this just a bit for any of those people that aren't so great at this. I, I would say that when you're railing out, right. And you're trying to keep your ski low. I, I was just mo working through this in the last like two weeks. What I found is I'm sitting up out there. I'm baking a cake. I'm like, Oh, okay, this is good. I'm ready to go. But my posture and everything was moving out of it because there's less speed. I'm relaxing, right? I'm waiting. And every time I would turn the corner, my ski would rise. Mm -hmm. And I was having a ton of problems getting that tension that I'm used to doing big air, you know, gainers and things like that. I'm used to a lot of tension and I just couldn't get it. And uh, one thing I finally figured out was when I cut out that feeling of ripping on it, I just tried to hold that the entire time the ski's dead. And then when I turn the corner, it's like I have all my feet pressure. I have my lay, my body sitting how it's supposed to go. But that was something that uh, I was not uh, I was not putting together at all. I would get out there and it was like I'm waiting and then I would go cut back and all of the speed posture was nowhere to be found. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so, kind of funny like when you go like and you really think of and I'm not a physicist and I'm not an engineer. Um, I kind of have an engineer brain the way that I think. I probably would have been a good engineer. But when you think about just the general physics of how a hydrofoil works and what the line tension does. You've got this, basically these wings with the leading edge that have drag. You've got a ski with a leading edge and it has drag. The more ski you have in the water, the more drag you have, okay? So the deeper you are on the water, the actual, actually the less foot pressure you need to keep the ski down. Right? It's true. Yeah. Now, here's another thing. That line that's in your hand is a fulcrum of leverage. Right. So when you see somebody that runs out of line and they start to rise up, they put their hands over their head and it's changing that pull point to help them put pressure on their feet. Right? Right. It's the same thing when you're doing the switch. Like when you're on the switch, you basically don't have any line. If you do it right, you have zero line because you're going the exact same boat speed as the boat. And when you don't have any line, there's nothing using you to help keep your ski down. So you have to be prepared for that by keeping the ski low in the water on the switch. Yes, yes. It makes a lot of sense. I've just been kind of uh, getting that. I, I never even realized it. I'm going at the wake, you know, a foot and a half out of the water and I'm going for air tricks like seven inches out of the water. You know, it just, it was probably not exact measurements there, but that was a big factor. So when you're coming back, your advice is the switch, get right back into that extreme cut, lay on the line as hard as you can. But if you're watching video of yourself, you know, you might think in terms of that as you're giving people tips, you know, when you're seeing the video, you said some really great pointers with your front arm, it should remain straight as you make the switch. 
then it becomes the rear arm, obviously. But what is a good foil height? You know, if you see you're coming in at the wake and you're you're seeing a foot and a half of foil, that's probably too much, right? All right. Well, not necessarily. So this it's hard is to where say the, measurements. This is it's... where the dark side comes in. Okay. So with the V dip, right? You end up high on the ski and that gives you an opportunity to push your feet down because you're bent over because you have no line pressure, right? right? The V dip, you've released your line tension. Even if you still got both hands and you still got a little bit of cut, if you lift on your cut, you're going to basically release line tension, which is help keeping the ski down. Ski's going to rise. So you're going to go forward, right? Right. And so you're going to come up and then you're going to go whack, whack. And that's the V dip on the dark side, the key to the dark side. Here it is. It doesn't necessarily matter. You want to be kind of lower on when you're cutting through the water. I feel like it's more stable. Um, that the wings are deeper in the water. Uh, it just feels like there's there's more. Uh, it's just the stability's there when the the ski's a little deeper in the water. Um, there's more to lean against. There's like there's more strut. Well, you so, when you're cutting so hard, it keeps you stable. Right. And, and when it's, and if you've ever ridden in the springtime and like the top foot of water is 10 degrees warmer than everything underneath it, if you put your wings right in that spot between, you know, 70 degree water and 60 degree water, your wing does this. Really? So it doesn't matter what time of year it is. There's going to be a little bit of warm water at the top of the lake when the sun's beating on it, especially um, if your wings are deeper in the water, you're outside of that weird zone. Like, so um, Arizona, it's called the water's turning, right? So we call it when the water's turning and there's a big difference between the surface water and the, like the core of the lake um, in Arizona, we might go skiing in February on an 80 degree day. And, but the water's 55 because we're in the dead of winter. Right. So what happens is, is that top one foot of water gets pleasantly warm because it's 80, 85 degrees outside. And when that water warms up, it's unrideable. You can't ride in it. So really? No, oh yeah, we'll go and we'll do a set in the morning. And then the afternoon is just booze cruise because you can't ski in it. Your, your, your wings are doing this so much that That's it's, it's crazy. out of control. I felt a, it in I felt it in like currents in the water, but not to sure. that level. That's kind of yeah. crazy. Rivers can kind of do it too. It's just a little bit different with the rivers with the swirliness. Um, but the, back to the dark side. So the whole thing is is like you're low in the water. You have stability. You don't need a big dip to get your shoulders up, right? To take off. And the thing about the dark side is when you are when you cut in, if your arm is locked into the ski and virtually straight, it might have less of like a little crook in it. But for the most part, like that line from the boat is in a straight line all the way to your outside shoulder, right? The, the one right. that's leaning away from the boat. So you're loaded all the way into your shoulder. Your core is super locked in. And then if that line is loaded, when you go to like – push on your feet, the natural opposite reaction is that your shoulders are going to drop back, right? Right. If you're locked in 
to the line, your shoulders don't drop back. They can't. Right? Right. You can't drop backwards because the line is locked in. I cannot go backwards anymore. I see what so you what mean. happens is, is the ski moves out from underneath you. So instead of your shoulders and your weight moving behind the balance point of the ski, you have moved the ski out from underneath you. So there's no downward motion before you go up. If you're going down before you go up, you're using energy, your weight's going down, and that reduces the amount of energy to go up. The whole thing is to get the ski as steep as possible, as fast as possible, without wasting energy going across the wake or you know down through the dip. And that's, that's how the dark side works. So you're actually shoving your feet slightly forward, not down. And then it, once you release the pressure, as long as you have built enough line tension, which does require hard cutting. I mean, you really can't do this at 23 miles an hour unless you're big time cutting and making the speed, right? Like you're not traditionally going to see your average person riding 23 cookie cutter and around being able to pull that off. It requires velocity, no, right? No, you could do it at any speed. doesn't matter. As long but as terminal velocity of the ski though, like you have no. to develop that. No, nope. as long as you're loaded on the line. As long okay. as you're, as long as you're loaded and your arm is straight, like how many times did Al tell us to, to ride with our arms? Yeah, straight, I think right? we need to have like, straight it's arms money. for sure, <laughs> dude. I'm telling you, <laughs> like I rode with Al in 2009 when I was working in Austin, and he's like, "Hamster arms, man, you got to stop." Alligator <laughs> arms, there's that too. T-Rex arms, like oh, you yeah. got to stop that stuff. So Al's, dude, I love Al. Al's great. Yeah, um, I had a great conversation. He's a yeah, really cool dude. So. The thing, the thing about um, you can do the dark side anywhere. It doesn't matter because that's the technique. The technique is using the line tension to move the ski out from underneath you instead of your weight falling behind the ski. See, I've got to mess with that a little bit because I really felt like the only way I could make it do it was cutting like a madman. I haven't really messed with it without tremendous line tension. I just feel like when so you really have it loaded up... Tension. Yeah, it's like, oh, there it is. I think I can, I'm I'm feeling the cusp of it. <laughs> it's not, yeah. uh, I'm not the best at it, but you know what I mean? Like you can feel that it's a forward, not a down. And when you feel the forward, it, it is explosive right. upward so movement. One of the, like one of the analogies that I've used when I've coached people at fly-ins and my buddies and whatnot um, is kind of think about being on a swing set right? When you're generating a pump, a forward pump on a swing set, like you use your core, right? And you pull on those chains and you stick your feet out and it moves forward, right? So right. that's the dip. Not now a swing. Obviously, if you're on a swing, it's like way over eccentric, but um, basically that's kind of the motion. Like you're, you're kind of throwing your feet out there a little bit, you know, you're, you're like, rocking in on those that that line tension those chains right you're kind of pulling in on those a little bit and you're leaned back but that creates kind of like that pump where you're kind of moving through this motion um and then on the opposite end of that when you get to the top of that swing we pull ourselves up right and we yep. drop our feet back behind us to do the opposite the other direction 
So it's kind of the same thing where like you come in, right? You're on cut, you push, you're locked in, you push out on your feet, not necessarily down. It's really hard to push down when you're not over your knees and like over the ski, right? I mean, you're going to be forward, but you're not going to be like, not like a V dip where you're like, you can throw your, you throw your weight at your feet because you're against the line. Right. You're, you're, you're basically pulling against so the other. So talking a little bit of detail of that moment, you, you're blending the feet, but when do you come an off cut at all? I mean, you've got to come off slightly, right? But so you want to. Okay, explain this. What it, <laughs> but but so, you know what I mean, though? Let's get, through, let's get through the dark side and then we'll talk okay. about the arc. Because like okay. the dark side's hard enough. And then the arc is a whole new ball of worms. But um, so basically you, you, you push on your feet, you're loaded on the line so you can't roll backwards. And then you just steep ski, rip your knees up. And I mean, it's, we used to think like just release your foot pressure and, you know, the ski will come up at you. And it does. It will come up at you. But if you want to get your ski like steep, steep, then you got to pull on your knees too. And so the whole idea is that when you leave the water, you know, you're on cut and this is my torso and this is the ski. I will push down on my feet and the ski will rotate, but I'm not going backwards, right? I'm rotating around my shoulders and then I go and I'm still like this. Right. Well, now I've just moved the ski to here and I'm riding the wings out of the water. Instead right. of those wings swooping around me, now I'm exiting with the wings. But you still and have to come off your cut to produce that, right? I, I, let, let's not get into the arc. Think about a, a little bit of a beginner. You know what I mean? Like if I was racing yes. out there and I'm like, okay, I'm leaning forward. I'm pushing my feet out. I would imagine that most people are going to be like, ah, I could try that. Sure. But when you're railing out there and you've got good straight arms, let's say you're doing, most people are probably going to do something in the flats to try it out for the first time. They've got it all loaded up. They've got their good line tension. They're like, hell yeah, let me push my feet out. I'm going to do it. You still got to come off of it a bit, right? You're not saying take off at an angle standard type of uh, exit angle, right? You want to come out a little bit and do that, so, correct? Shannon Pope, he's he's got the dark side down too. I should have added him in there. I mean, and there's a lot of writers that, that know how it works. Um, but Shannon Pope is it. I love Shannon too. <laughs> but he is the only guy that I've ever seen go at the wake 100% and then just press the send button. Like right. the, arc, the arc through the dip, it's a technique to go big, but it's also a... I can't bring myself to press the send button when I'm on that kind of a cut. Now on so, that kind of cut, are you saying that he's taken off with like the exact T-bar angle he was cutting in at? Is that what dude. you mean by that? Oof. And it, yeah. Oof. Gives me. Remember when I was telling you yeah. about like cutting in as hard as you can and when you're scared, that's where you're supposed to go. He never lifts on his cut. That's he's crazy. crazy. Yeah. 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 Like he's like that, that kind of thing. I think about it. So back in the day when I was working on going big, Working with Mr. Brian Steele, and Brian knows a lot about hydrofoiling. Um, he's like, dude, just rail into it and just treat that wake as a speed bump. He's like, just send it off that. And I couldn't do it. Like, I would cut in as hard as I could, and I'd get to that wake, and I would just 
not, I couldn't do it. And a lot of times what happens is when you lift on your cut and, and then you, you lost line tension a, and so then the dark side gets really difficult. Um, the other thing that happens is, and this is a really common mistake. Like if you want to go bigger, what happens is, is that you'll be on cut and you're, you're on a trajectory and you see your takeoff point. You're like, there it is. And you lift on your cut. So you went from here to here. And then when you, because you don't have any line to take off, even though it's all about going over the top, your feet might actually go off to the side because yeah, you get that, that line, roly that line, thing. yeah, kind of pulls on you because you're doing a, a roll, right? So big air rolls and big wake rolls, they're line loaded gainers. It's the line that rolls you, not your takeoff angle that rolls you. So what happens is, is people will break at the waist. Sometimes you'll see them, they'll, they'll cut in and then they'll lift and then they'll dip down and they'll do this, the opposite, giving their head and their shoulders into the boat. I could show you a couple hundred of those if you want. Their, yeah. their feet go the opposite <laughs> direction and it cuts your frames in half. Yeah. Because all that, all that energy that you just put into going like forward and through and up just went away from the boat or into the boat. Like it went everywhere but where you were going. So even if you were to just start with you don't have to go 8 million percent at the wake. Even if you were to go wide and just be like, I'm going to stay on cut and then just lift and go. It's over the head. Don't break on your core. You should still be on your, you know, your away side should be strong. And then, you know, push your feet out and pull. And, you know, you can still utilize a little bit of dark side with that technique. That's how Pope does it. He just, goes like a madman and you can start to see your frame counts grow because you're not giving anything into the boat or letting your feet swing away from it. So if you watch that video, that video that you mentioned, um, when you see me do, man, I had three GoPros going on that set. I had one on the nose, one on my helmet and one strapped on the side of the board. Yeah, that but, was pretty cool. Um, yeah, you know, just trying to learn stuff and yeah, sure. You can see, especially on my air roll, it was like fifty-six and a half frame air roll. Just oh yeah, just just fifty-six. It wasn't I know, a big deal. It but was, my mind it wasn't was okay. into it that day. Like I just I couldn't even. I had done fifty-eight at that point already. So like so when I didn't do when I did fifty-six and a half, I was like ah. But uh, you can see when I do my air roll, like my body does not go in towards the boat at all there's never a point where I lean into the boat. There's a, there's a point where I kind of go from here to here and then back to here on takeoff, but it's not, I'm never like this on takeoff. I'm never, if the boat's on the side, I'm never into the boat. So the, the idea is over the ski. I was going to say, so the idea of straight back really is almost like, no, no, you have to work to stay there. It, it's not just given to you because of the line tension. And when you hit the wake or you take off, you're going to get yanked. I mean, that's the whole deal, right? You're loading the line. So to achieve that, you have to be willing to stand your ground, right? I mean, you have to be tight. You have to try to be there. Yes. Yeah. And so when 
you hear a lot of higher level riders will talk about, you know, staying on edge or you'll hear 10% on takeoff. Um, every, it's all about line management. Uh, line management is like the key to everything happening. Oh yeah. All the um, things. Oh, dude, like that's why you want a hundred percent of your line. Cause if my arm is straight, I've got all this to work with. If yeah. I'm like this, I have this much to work with. Yeah. So if I mooch my takeoff, I have this much chance to fix it because yeah. I took off with straight arms. It, um, it's, it's a real thing. I mean, I literally just landed a bunch of offside gainers, never even thrown them before, but it was Al Lewin said to keep my arms straight. So, <laughs> so, so I went too. out there. Yeah, I went out there and did the thing. And I'm like, I know it's supposed to be by my hip. Sure as can be, I landed like three of them. I'm like, well, that's not so bad. It's just straight I'm, back, straight on. That line <laughs> manipulates so much. You can do so much with that line. Um, but yeah, if, you, if you're just working on, and it doesn't matter where you're at, you can do it at the wake, you can do it in the flats. Um, you have less line tension when you're on in the flats because the most line tension is when you're right behind the boat. Right. Like that's 100%. And as you move away from that, on your on your pendulum mark that line that forward pull of of the boat goes down sure so to go big in the flats is all about cut speed cut speed and line loading but like it really it, it, it a lot of it has to do with cut speed and and when you're out there and you're railing out there when you go to take off it's not i'm gonna do a roll right so some people will like do that thing where they'll drop their shoulders in, right? And then they look like, I'm trying to remember how they look at it. They look over on their inside shoulder because they're looping that way, but. No, so you go try like, to bite your ear. You you do this. Uh, yeah, number. you'll just see people kind of look almost in the wrong, I feel like they look in the wrong direction. Every once in a while, you'll see like a really, really like whipper roll. But, um, you know, for me, when I was trying to go big, I was really concentrating on, staying forward through the exit, right? So if my shoulders, knees are high, shoulders are forward through the exit. After that, you can break at the waist or push on your feet and do all kinds of stuff. Sure, but, sure. No, I understand um, what you mean. It's kind of an exit needs to yeah. be like steep. So I used to cut out and I initiate and then I would, as soon as I initiate, I'd go sky because that's where I was facing. And I would say to myself, sky water. So I always wanted to look at the sky before looking back at the water, right? And that way it helped me from breaking too soon because Wait. you can still be forward, but start to break like right as the wings aren't quite there and you, you left a little on the table. That's interesting because I've watched uh, many slow-mos of you and you have a very distinguished thing where like if I knew you were saying that the last couple of days, I would have been like, that makes a lot of sense because you can literally see there's a lift, there's a weight, flip. And yeah. uh, that's an interesting tactic. So when you launch, you're trying to just look straight into the sky until you know that you're completely out of the water or what is the indication for you to look for I water mean, you can kind of feel it like you know when you've left the water right everything happens really fast and like i said it's oh, yeah. almost subconscious right but it gets to the point to where your brain knows you've left the water and then you can lay it out or stay it forward or do a bunch of stuff um my buddy brian 
learned a trick from Kevin Thayer, pro skier out in California. Kevin Thayer has a yellow, a yellow smiley face sticker on the nose of his board. And he used that sticker to keep himself forward. And I don't know what trick he was working on, but he's always had that sticker on as long as I can remember. And um, I think it has something to do with his good friend, um, Bill Von Zaberg, that passed away. He's got the record of like 3,058 consecutive flips in one pole, no crashes. Oh, my yeah, Lanta. Ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it took him like eight hours or something. But <laughs> I'm not even kidding. You I would look need, into a, it. It I would need like else. a seven day ice bath after that. Like, how do you even walk? That's intense. He was like an Iron Man. So yeah. he was probably like nothing. Everyone but, I know um, is about 12 beers deep by the time that they, uh, dude, <laughs> there's no they way feeding them water with a fishing net and refilling the boat while they're in tow. Like, Oh my gosh. Big deal, dude. Super yeah, cool intense. thing that they did. Super cool. But, um, basically like, yeah, keeping yourself forward on every trick when you leave the water. Like if you watch a pro rider ride, there isn't a, except for the double back. That's like the only trick where I see Tori Nairns is behind. And I mean, it is so fast, but he's yeah. kind of behind the bar on takeoff because he needs so much rotation speed. Right. But every other trick, every other mob, every front flip, every front roll, every wrapped anything is all forward on takeoff. So do you think that you could probably on any format of a, you know, Honestly, but what Al said, everything's a backflip. So on any form of your gainer, rolls, any of those things, you should have a moment with enough line tension. You've pushed your feet forward. You stay on edge. You launch. You should be able to look at the sky for a split second before you do anything. There should be sure. that moment. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I can't that. think that seems of dicey, any but trick hey. that I've ever done where, like, you – I mean, even with a jump, you're still kind of like – when people are learning jumps, like you have to be forward. Yeah. There's no way to do a jump and you're be behind the T-bar because it turns into a flip. Right. I mean, a hydrofoil just wants to flip if you lean back. Right. So like a, the jump is the simplest form of, yeah, you are forward. And if you want to do a big jump, then you're still forward. You just go steeper with your knees. So let me ask you a question specifically about from the wake to your air, right? I, we've kind of discussed the technique. You're staying on the line. We kind of just went through that. So your moment of launch on, say, an air roll where you feel that big pop in the ski, right? There's no wake to jump over. There's nothing to touch. You're creating the lift. Do you feel that same pop at the wake or are oh, you no. ramping the wake? The Does wake that make is, sense? The wake is totally different. But what I mean, though, just so you specifically understand what I'm asking you, when you pull your push your feet forward and you feel that big lift in an air roll setting, mm -hmm. is that occurring at the wake or is it a different format through your feet to hit that wake? Does that make sense? Because the wake yeah, helps the wings go. Like it's a uh, um, the thing about like they're just two different animals. They really are. Um, fundamentally, they're the same. But the line tension is so different that they're 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 kind of different animals. So at the wake, um, we'll start there because most people that go big tend to start there. Um, when you're at the wake, 
you're you have so much more line tension because the boat is in front of you right and um in the case of that and 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 the boat when the boat goes through the water it basically displaces the water it pushes the water down and out and when that water comes back in the same weight of that boat basically pushing the water down and out is coming back in so that's why we want our wings to go through that like sweet spot on the wake because that's where all the force is basically lifting the water to fulfill that void and it helps push you out of the water too um we'll get into so we discuss the dark side right getting that ski steep um being locked into the line the difference between like staying on cut like pope would or lifting on your cut but still going straight over the top now we're going to add in the arc through the dip now the arc is this is the way that i know it and i i ben might think of it a little bit different and jake might think about it a little bit different um but basically what happens when you're when you when you you're cutting in and you're at that scary spot you're like railing as hard as you can and you're like i can't go like it's too scary yeah so you lift right the the trick is is that now i'm going not going to lift with my whole body like this i'm going to just lift with the ski right so basically i stay against the line and i lift with my ski so it kind of like does this a little bit and it flattens the ski out because imagine you're on cut so right it flattens the ski out but i'm able to kind of keep on it and so it's still there's like a momentary lapse in line tension so it's kind of funny because like when you do that, I always feel like I want to be falling away from the boat when I do it right. And when it happens is, is when I'm falling away from the boat, it allows the ski, like I kind of turn my feet towards the boat like ever so slightly. And so I'm pushing my feet kind of not the direction that I'm going, but a little bit towards the boat. And I'm falling away from the ski because I I've momentarily lost my line, but I'm still locked in, right? I changed the direction of the ski a little bit. And so when I lift on my ski, now I've really tucked in. The ski is super between me and the boat. And I've used the dark side to get my ski as steep as possible, as fast as possible. And you can overdo the arc, but if you hit it just right, you're basically locked into the ski hundred percent and like your hands will be like almost lower than your, your thighs. Like they're so low on takeoff because you're so far like behind the ski and so it's, you have it, nowhere to go, but, but to up. the moon. Yeah. To the moon is, is, is the feeling almost like you're coming off cut, but yet you're laying on the rope. Is that another way to say it? Like you're trying yeah, to stay so, on it. So like you can, you can basically not cut and still be on edge. So just talking numbers, boats going 25, you cut back in, you build cut speed up to 35. You, so you've built this, this acceleration, this speed. When you lift on your cut, you don't have to lift a hundred percent because then you right. decelerate, but you can right. lift enough to where you no longer accelerate. 
So you're kind of maintaining the speed and that momentary break in, in like that really heavy law line tension is when you can put the ski between you and the boat and then you can kind of start to fall away from the line tension. The line tension kind of catches you because it all happens within, you know, basically that's where your feet finger. touches the water and the excess, the wings leave the water. Like it's a really tight little window. Um, and it's really, it's, it takes a lot of practice and it's, it's a really advanced trick. Um, I don't want to discourage people from going for it, but it's one of those things that I can watch videos or go out with people and they'll be like, Oh, I want to work on the arc through the dip and I'll watch them ride. I'm like, I don't want to burst your bubble, buddy, but you're not ready. Right. Like you got, you have a, a few more fundamentals that we need to work on. Like your cut, like you can't do an arc through the dip without like having a hundred percent line into the dip. You know, even though you're lifting on your cut, you're basically still locked into the line. And if, if you can't at least do that very first part, then the arc will never really cut. But I will say this, the arc, it's, you can overdo it. You can't necessarily underdo it because if you under arc, it just turns into a regular old roll. If you over arc, um, it can rip the handle right out of your hands. Um, but it also basically, I call chop suey. And I sent you a link for chop suey. Yeah, I, I've seen scary. one. They are scary, 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 scary. Um, because you're, you basically have gone against the line so hard that when you leave the water, you get like slingshotted up the line just a little bit. Boink. And so you don't have as much line as you would want because you're now going towards the boat instead of on your arc. Yeah. And it's like this crazy looking thing. It gets, it's, it's pretty wild, but, um, you could think of the arc as, a front flip because that's what a chop suey is it's like a super off access back roll front flip hybrid so when you come in to do a front flip like i you were saying that you have some neck issues from over smoking some front flips been oh there. yeah a couple of them yeah i've been there um <laughs> and uh doing the old lawnmower midair yeah oh yeah it. and then you get to talk like this for like a month because uh sure. you sniff the whole lake up in there yeah um, so when you cut it, when you're doing a front flip, you're basically doing, uh, you're not lifting on your cut. The, the, the key to a front flip is you don't lift, um, but you don't have to cut hard, but you don't lift. And then you do a lot of arc. And so you're basically, when you cut on, do on a front flip, you're staying on edge through the takeoff. You never lift through the takeoff. And then you push on your feet, right? Which re- actually rocks your shoulders back, which is okay on that case because you're not, you're not doing the dark side. You kind of are, but not really. Um, you push on your feet and it rocks you back. And then instead of pulling your feet straight up, kind of almost over your head like you would doing a roll, you pull your feet into the rope. And that puts the ski between you and the boat and you get you have no choice but to get dragged out the front yeah it's a ton of line when you do a front flip right yeah so if you do like the most line that i've ever felt in my hands is when i get my hand 
rip, handle ripped out of my hands is from a chop suey. It's an over arced roll. Um, front flips, I've seen people lose the line on front flips because there's a crap ton of line there too. Yeah. But because you're 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 kind of on cut and you've actually over arced to the point to where you still have somewhere to go. Where if you over arc on a roll, you're you've dropped into a hole behind kind of behind your ski and it's just like pow yeah um a lot of times it just pows like almost after exit like i so did do you, do you do you feel like the rope or the rope do you feel like the board movement is more to do with an an effort to do that with your legs as much as it is your upper body is trying to sit there and it's doing it in tandem. Like is the upper body required yeah. to make that motion happen? If you watch a lot of study some video and you watch a lot of front flips, you'll see that their core stays still, right? They right. push on their feet, their core stays still. It probably rocks back because it's behind the boat. You can't, it's hard to see that. Right. But when their knees come up and it, they don't come up straight. They come up like with the ski between them and the boat. Sure. Go so, to no man's like, land. Yeah. My biggest struggle, and I struggle with front flips for a really long time. And I'd land one every once in a while and I struggle bust it for a really long time. And I put a GoPro on Master Lee. I had it on the nose of his board went out and did a run. I took the footage home and watched it and he's good at front flips. No problem with him. And uh, one of the things about line tension, like my thing is that I was always off axis. I would get pulled in. Um, and so I could make the rotation, no problem, but I was always off axis. And what I noticed was him is that when he was, did his takeoff, he didn't do this. He did this. That's all I had to change by keeping my elbow like that arm. That's got this, the handle in close. This, the, the spin points down here, like the pull points from my elbow and not from my shoulder. Yeah. Big game changer. Oh, well, I'll tell you, I, w I was actually fortunate enough. Uh, we need to go back to that in just a second because sure. uh, I was actually referring to your back roll arc to dip position, not the front so, flip. But what I was going to say is your tips for the front flip, I would highly recommend someone go, you know, if you want to do front flips, your video kept me on access from literally the first time I threw it. I literally took off steep. You said, put your handles on the board. I literally tried to smoke my handle off the end of the board pulled it in, tucked it down by my side, couldn't land them, but I was always straight from like nearly the first one. So yeah. that does keep you on access. Now I can't tell you how to land it per se. I haven't got there yet, but uh, at least you're not spinning like a top, you know? Yeah, you'll get there. Yeah. But my, uh, my question originally for that part, I think you were answering it with a front flip, but if you're coming in for a big back roll mm -hmm. and you're talking about the arc segment you'd mentioned that you turn the board slightly what i meant by that was do you feel as though when you come off cut and you're laying on the rope do you feel as though that position in your upper body is actually making the feet kind of do that thing like could you honestly sit there and not and just twist your legs out from under you if you didn't have that drop like that like what does that feel like what's that moment what's the sensation so you could repeat it Man, that's, that's a, that's a good question. Um, 
Because if like, I'm imagining myself run at the wake, I don't think I could just turn my knees and be like, oh, there it was. Like, isn't that needed? You're, you're uh, almost. It's, it's kind of like, you know, obviously I'm facing the camera, so it's hard to show some of the things. Well, that pretend that's that the wake happen, if you were on max cut. That so, would give us our perspective. <laughs> basically, it's like a tiny S-turn right and you don't have to ride the skis with your upper body you can separate yourself you're lower from your upper so you can lift on your cut with your lower and you're going to lift a little bit with your shoulders it's just going to happen but your the arc is it's like you turn in towards the boat just a little bit and this is while you're pushing on your feet so like you're on cut, right? Typically when I'm cutting in, I'm diving, right? I'm slowly like building line tension, building foot pressure. I'm kind of coming in towards my takeoff. I spot my takeoff point. And then as soon as I start to take off and I know where my point is, I kind of don't push my feet at that point. I kind of just turn them just a just a smidgy smidge towards the boat. And if you watch, if you watch the, the video that I made where the, the GoPro is like facing behind me and some one of them's on the board and then one of them's facing straight down, you can see like the, the, the wake of the strut is straight and then there's a curve right at the end. There's a little curve. That's that arc. So that's that me doing a little bit of an S turn like I've lifted on my cut just to, just enough to where I can do a little bit of an S turn with my lower body, right? And so I'm driving my lower body away from my upper body and it's dropping my shoulders and my core behind that, that ski. So when I go like this and then I pop my knees up, I've dropped behind the ski and poop, that's the arc. So it's like a little tiny S turn because you still pull the ski pull your knees straight up, like over your head. Like you don't throw them out to the side like you do on a front flip. Like it's straight up over your head. But you've done a little bit of an S turn before you bring them up like straight towards your head to drop yourself behind the ski. So when you say an S turn, I'm picturing an S and I'm not seeing the well, S. Well, so, so like when you're on cut, you're going straight, right? Right. Like you're, you're on your pendulum and even though watching video even though like behind the boat you know you have this area of riding um when you're moving when the boat's moving forward it looks like when you're cutting towards the wake like on video that line looks straight as an arrow even though you're on an arc um because you're moving forward at 25 mile an hour or whatever um it looks straight and so that s turn when you watch it on camera it's straight and then there's a slight little curve, right? There's a slight little curve. Back at the that, wake, yeah. Towards, right. towards the boat. And that video that I made, and that, and that was what I was, I, I watched so much of Ben Fernie because Ben Fernie's the one that mastered it at the wake. Like Jake moneyed it in the flats and Ben moneyed it at the wake. And I was watching the angle of his board versus his body versus the angle of the camera 
So like on that video that I made, and there's even a little segment where I say like, watch the angle. You can see that he, you can see more of the bottom of his board, right? Right. So I tried to mimic him because I don't have Pope's undercarriage. His yeah, undercarriage. dude, yeah. his big brass, <laughs> hairy, <laughs> massive. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I love me some Pope. That's a good story from that guy. But um, basically, like, it's about getting that ski between you and the boat. And so getting to where you could see more board. So you know that you're leaning against the line. Like you've figured out a way to turn your knees ever so slightly so you can drive the ski towards the boat without losing your line tension. That's the hard part. Like you're separating your upper from your lower. You're turning ever so slightly when you've just lifted on your cut enough to make yourself comfortable. But you're falling away from the line on your pop and it puts you behind the ski and then. So if you come off your cut and don't mm -hmm. turn back at the boat, you don't accomplish the turn, what happens? Um, Does that make sense? Like your just bottom half. Into, it just, it just kind of, if you didn't turn back, it would kind of maybe be like a chop suey, maybe like overdone it because yeah. you didn't kind of bring it back. Because there's, there's a point, there's a point where you can over arc, and you've turned too much, and you've fallen away too much, and you've got too much ski between you and the boat. And if it doesn't rip the handle out of your hands, it'll end up turning your roll into a kind of a front flip roll. Not even a front roll front flip, but a back roll front flip. Like the ski gets sucked behind you and loops over the top. And in some of those videos that I've made, if you see me with my hand like out here, like super far out in front of me, because the nose of the board is just going underneath that rope. Because yeah. I've gone almost over the rope. And if you over chop suey, and that, that, that board comes in and hits your handle or your line, it stops your rotation. <laughs> Mm. Uh, yeah, that like, doesn't. Yeah, my I've, my smallest chop suey on film is like fifty three, so it's like when you get smoked on a chop suey, they're all bad. Yeah, side splat at fifty three. I'm sure uh, changes your day. Yeah, they're those are some rough ones. I've only had a couple that I weren't able to kind of get the ski back underneath me, but they're pretty brutal when they happen. So a guy like Shannon Pope, when he approaches it, you know, he doesn't, he's not trying to turn at it whatsoever. I mean, you have some comparison in that video and everybody looks pretty darn similar a little bit like to the naked yeah. eye, if you looked yeah. at him briefly, but yep. so he does no, nothing of that nature. He's got the line or, you know, T-bar still leaned away. He's got everything. And then he just throws it. Nothing yeah, to if think you about. Watch, so that his first time he went 60 frames was in 2003. I want to say it was 12 or 13 in Havasu. Um, I was filming that and he was the second person to hit 60 frames. I think Ben had maybe gone 61 at that point, but Pope was the second. And when you watch him cut in, like he goes wide, 
And then I might have cut down the clip because I throw away a bunch of stuff when you're editing videos. But when he cuts back in, if you watch like the trajectory of his approach, it never changes. Like through his dip. And I mean, and that's why he goes like, they're pretty he lands so yeah. far out in the flats because yeah. he used so much energy. Like he couldn't quite get it up as much. I don't know how you would do it, to be honest. Like he did everything that you're supposed to do when you're doing that. Um, I mean, it was a perfect role, but he, if I could have taught Pope or if he would have learned like the arc with as strong as that dude is and, and his, lack of fear like he's a pole vaulter he's used to being 20 feet in the air but i mean like sky's the limit on that kid like i 65 66 like he just had the tenacity to do it he just never incorporated the arc interesting but you don't think that that had potentially you know you might say maybe he could have went bigger if he went faster or used this did that had the best day you know do you think there's any possibilities uh, like that or you think it's a superior elevation technique so the thing about and there's you want to argue about something on the internet <laughs> you argue about frames right but, uh, frames is there's a mathematical calculation that basically if you measure something um, that's in the air, if it leaves from zero mile per hour going up to a point to where it stops and then comes back down, if you measure that because gravity is completely constant and time is completely constant, you can calculate how far you went. It's, I don't know it all, but like gravity's you know, pulls down at, I don't know, 2.6 meters per second or whatever it is. But you can calculate based off of time, right, and gravity, how long, if, how long something is in the air is how high it went. And it doesn't matter what trajectory that it went. If you leave it 60 degrees or 30 degrees, 45 degrees, 45 is the optimum to go the, 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 the longest, right? or 60, 90 is the highest. So if you have X amount of energy and you wanna go the highest, you leave at 90 degrees, right? You will, if you have that X amount of energy and you go 45, you're gonna go the furthest, but you won't necessarily go the highest because you used energy to go out and not up. So that's frames. It's all about going up and it's about getting that ski steep so like when you watch Ben Fernie's videos, 60, 61, 64, and my videos, the really big whoppers, we don't land very far out into the flats like Pope did because we used our energy to go up instead of out. And that's why our frame counts are up. Yeah, I don't know. I've seen one video of uh, Pope. I, I think it was 60 or 61. But to see that, if I would have been on a boat to see – 50 feet. I mean, it's incredible to watch how much distance he covered. It's kind well, of crazy. Well, and that's the argument that looks so spectacular because of the distance that he travels. Yeah. But using that mathematical formula, time versus gravity, right? Time in the air versus gravity, those constants, you can calculate height 
and and that's what frames are. It's it, frames are time, right? It's thirty frames per second, and right. it's twenty nine point nine seven frames per second or something. But like that's how we get a general idea how high we go. So the whole thing about the arc is to use our energy that's coming towards the wake to go up instead of out. So on a 63 frame ride, are you hitting 60 every time you, you do a flip that day? Or is it more of like, <laughs> yeah, that one was pretty epic. And, no, yeah. yeah. So like when I very first went 63, so when I did 60 frames the very first time, so on that like training video that I have up, um, that was the first time I hit 60 frames. And what it was, was that a little like? bit of, you it was like a, a chop suey. Yeah. I didn't know. Like yeah. if you, if you heard the audio, cause I didn't put the audio in the, the there was just music playing and, um, I have the audio and I posted it a long time ago cause it cracks me up, but I talk to myself a lot when I ride. I do it when I ride my bike. I just talk to myself and it just, it, it, it brings it to, to like what I'm supposed to do. Um, I went, caught in, did my thing. And I just remember it like about deer ripped the handle out of my hands. Like it was just like whack. And I remember my, like, even in the video, I think I said that my core buckled, right? So that core buckle is basically the line is like, Ugh! it had yeah. done, did that to me. I didn't yeah. let my, I was trying not to, but like, I'm trying to stay here. And it's like, Ugh! like this and it rocked you and it you know it's like all the way to the edge and then over the end chop suey just cleared the tip of the board and over rotated it just a smidgy smidge and i landed it i was like i knew it was a monster i felt it in the handle like, yeah, that thing was like oh my god it just hit bam and you know that's i think I threw my arm up like in celebratory fashion and in the video I go I don't know what that was but it was effing big <laughs> I knew it right yeah um and, and the hard thing about being like super stoked about counting frames is you don't get to do it until you either get back in the boat or you get back home right so there's a delay there's a delay of elation well but, like you, you kind of get to the point to where you kind of know yeah, if it's bigger than you've been before, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, so like the 63 on that run, right? So talking about chasing frames, um, water temperature, like if a, if the water's too hot, it does not have the density to go monster big. Really? Like, yeah, anything over like 74. That's nah. my problem. That's what yeah. it is. Dude, I'm telling you, all I those guys it. riding in a 90 degree water don't even I... try. <laughs> I um, knew that was my issue. It's not technique. Serious. Like when the water's 89 degrees in yeah. Phoenix, because it's 117 degrees outside, I do not count frames the yeah. rest of my time because I know that they're not going to be there. Um, so water temperature has big to do with it. Um, wind, like you don't want wind in your face because you want to have maximum cut speed at the wake, whether you're doing it in air roll territory or at the wake you know when the wind is in your face you can feel it when you ski oh yeah it's horrible right you feel like you got a tarp behind you you know obviously if you got a lot of wind at your back the boat starts there's going to be chop unless you've had got some hidden cove 
Right. Um, so wind speed has a little bit to do with it. Boat speed has a lot to do with it at the wake. It doesn't really matter in the flats as much. Um, and we can touch on that in a little bit. But basically you go super wide, like we very first started talking about. Super, super wide. Slow the ski down. Do your switch. 100% cut speed at the wake. Spot your takeoff. And then you take off and hope hope for the best um, when i was doing that run when that i was doing terrifying. that run i was so there's a couple of things that you can do that that helps um cocaine for, is that one of them or uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, you, so, gotta, you gotta be ready to rock caffeine um, <laughs> yeah no so like uh boat speed helps a lot especially at the wake um, so what speeds are we talking I, here 30 mile an hour oh Man. Like I think Ben was going 30 or 29 and a half when he went 64. Um, Ben's thing with was he wanted to be able to do all of his tricks at the same speed that he would do his big air. So like, I think the first time he went 60, he was probably going 27 miles an hour because he could do his ball and chain and his KGB and his front flips and all his other tricks at 27 miles an hour. I didn't care. I was like, I just want to go big and I'm going to do whatever I can do. Now I never went over 30 because US, USHA like tournament rules pretty much says you can't go over 30. Right. But I felt like if I went over 30, then that's kind of like going outside the rules. So I set the boat speed at 30 and I was GPS accurate. And the other thing that you could do now, this was, uh, it's hard to tell because the cheater tower changes it a little bit. Um, but the rules in USHA say that you're not supposed to run over a hundred feet of line. So like my line was a hundred feet, but I was running a cheetah tower and I had a five foot extension on it. So like technically I guess it's a hundred and five, but that five foot extension is on it. So you don't have to climb up there and connect your line every time. Right. Right. So what happens when you run, like I'll be coaching and then I'll tell people like Al's like slow the boat down. Let's learn without killing ourselves and let's slow the boat down. And what happens is if you're running 90 feet, like my regular line is 90 feet. If I slow the boat down to 18 mile an hour, it feels like I'm going 12 mile an hour. Right. It takes eight years to get to the wake to do something. It takes eight years to get out into the flats to do something. Right. Like your, oh, yeah. time, your timing's off. So like when I was learning the Floby, I would take my... I have a 20 foot section of poly poly E rope, like low stretch barefoot line um, on my line. I would take that off that 20 feet off. So I'd run 70 feet, 18 mile an hour and work on tricks. And that taking that 20 feet off made it feel like I was still going 23 mile an hour, but I was going 18 mile an hour. Right. So there's a timing that happens. So when you're people are like, Oh, 30 mile an hour. That's crazy. That's so fast. Well, you add 10 feet to your line and it still feels fast, but your timing's not thrown off that much because the bigger your arc, right? Longer right. line, the more time you have. So you're building more power. You're going faster towards the wake, but the time to get there is the same because your distance is longer. So it doesn't really monkey with your timing. So like when I did the first 
when I was running 28 mile an hour, because I usually run like 26, um, I had 90 foot line and I went 60 frames and it was like, things are happening. Like you get up there and then it's like, go. And it's just everything so fast because it's like the boat speeds up and my timing is not changed because my line is the same. Right. So you can obviously get away with, with changing your timing. So like if you wanted to, you could work on your cut, like your switch. You could just slow the boat down a little bit and you could leave your line long and it'll give you more setup time at the wake. You won't have as much power, but you'll get used to dealing with the line at a lower tension. So then it becomes easier when you go a little bit faster. What did um, you do to, uh, is there any trigger for you to know when to initiate the dip? Like that works always? No, because every boat's a little different. Um, every wake shape's a little bit different. Uh, some boats like the 2007 Supra 24 SSV, that boat in particular, I got a buddy of mine that lives out in Havasu, has that boat, super nice boat, but man, that wake is like skinny. It's like narrow. Right. And it's like, it monkeys with my timing. I think, I think that, uh, Allison, Todd and Allison Gowen, great people. I think they have maybe a 22 foot Supra kind of in that same age frame. Same deal, man. Like, I don't know what it is about that wake, but it's like skinny and it messes with my timing. So what happens is, uh, the few times that I've ridden behind it, I would go when I think I should go, which is earlier, right? Early, so my wings leave the meat, and they would leave the tr trough. So there was no push, and it really it doesn't end that bad, but, oh, man, it's just, it just kills the frames like nothing else. Yeah. Um, just going too early. But, yeah, every boat's a little bit different. It depends on how many people are in the boat all this stuff so you just get kind of used to looking at the wake like pope was like the boat makes a spray the spray makes bubbles he would try to put his feet on the edge of those bubbles and then his wings would leave the wake so that was his spot well the bubbles change a little bit for every boat and i was always super inconsistent and I always felt like I, every time I would poke the bubbles, I wouldn't come up quick because I'd be like, where's the bubbles? Where's the bubbles? Where's the bubbles? Dude. <laughs> and you know what I mean? They're like, oh, yes, I hit the bubbles. And then, you know so what I mean? This, that's, that's, that's funny that you say that because I know exactly what you're doing. So that's part of the dark side. So remember that check mark, right? Right. When you're, when you're cutting in, you might be a foot off the water and then it's like, there's the bubbles. That's where I want to touch my feet. And you're not like foot, 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 touch my feet. You're gliding in, touch my feet. Right? Yeah. So it's yeah. that your approach is like, I'm going to touch my feet, yank my knees. Right? And that, that push towards that is when you're loaded is the dark side. The ski swings out from underneath you. You rip your knees high and... So you so, say rip your knees with like a lot of enthusiasm. Is it like that intense? Because I don't know that I'm yanking knees. Like you're yanking your knees. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like okay. if you if if I for some reason is am my balance is a little off or the skis a little fast. Like it's it's yaw. And I guess I don't know what you would call that. I'm not a pilot. But porpoise or something. Up and down. Yeah, yeah. If it's if the skis a little quick, um, 
I can get behind the ski and then I'll over rotate. Um, most of the time I can overcome that because I take it off with straight arms and I can stop my rotation and, and still recover. Right. But, uh, yeah, if that's pr pretty much about it, like you just, I just used to think, really I used to them. think it was just release your foot pressure. I really did for a long time. I thought it was just release your foot pressure. And then the water gets underneath the wings and it pushes, it, it kind of pushes the knees towards you, which yeah. it does. Yeah. But if I pull on my knees, my ski gets steeper faster. So the whole thing is, is like when you're doing the dark side, you're coming in on your check mark, right? You've done pushed on your feet. The ski's rotating out from underneath you. And then you're just basically going boom as fast as possible. And so the back of your ski, like your strut is still, you've got 40 inches. If you're running a 40 inch T-bar, 40 inches that you get to ride those wings up out of the water. Right. Like if you cut in and you miss touching the board on the water, you're not going to die. It's just going to kill some frames because you're not using all your T-bar to get out of the water. And right. the steeper you can get your wings and the deeper you can change that angle, the more you're going to like ride those wings out of the water to get to frames. Interesting, because I felt the swing feeling. I feel those things, not as much at the wake as I do in the flats, just for my own demise of being extremely late. But uh, I just don't know that I've ever thought to just yank the heck out of them. Because, they, I mean, they they do come up. If you if you shove the ski forward, they come up. They you do, know what I mean? Yes. But uh, I think I'll Once be starting like, to yank. If you, watch, if you watch the videos um, of, of a lot of riders, yeah. you will see that especially like – guys that are doing mobs that are trying to kill the role, like Al and his KGBs or even a ball and chain, the whole thing about a ball and chain. I know it was named off of a trick that I think they do off of ski ramps. Yeah, I think cause Gino Yaki invented it and you'd have to ask Gino, but I think that he did a ball and chain off of a ski ramp, like show ski ramp, like, right. Um, and then took it to the hydrofoil, but you have to basically when you have that handle at the you know the smaller your back when you go to take off the line tension even if you've got some in your hand you still have some in your back it's pulling your back into a rotation like it's help helping you rotate so by taking off like this and this is the ball right you right. basically have pushed out and you're like what you're balled up and you stay there, you know, on exit, drop your hand, you know, it, the whole thing is stay balled up because you want to, you're, you're fighting the rotation, right? So right. like ball and chain is not a true just gainer, even though it's kind of a gainer takeoff, because if you just do a gainer, you're going to over rotate. You got to do like three quarters of a gainer, because that line that's behind your back is going to give you your other quarter and you've got to get forward on it to help slow that down. Um, so by ripping on your knees, you can over rotate it. Um, generally you don't under rotate it, but it's also consistent. Yeah. So like you get used to pulling on your knees and like 
there was a time when Adam and I, my brother, we kind of talked about pulling on your feet and then putting on the brakes and trying to find like that optimum angle. And I always found that I under rotated everything when I tried to like put on the brakes and like stop the ski. So I got to the point where it's like, I'm not going to stop pulling on my knees. I'm just going to pull until I exit the water. And can you pull too hard? You just over rotate. And but can you bad. fix it with more sitting forward more or if you've basically... got line tension, like on takeoff, which you should. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, you see get riders with their arm up in the air. They're basically killing the roll at the end, using the line to, to go in from here to here to stop the rotation. And that's all it is. You just got to slow the rotation with your line tension. Interesting. Now you've got a pretty big breakdown on three sixties. I think that would be kind of mm. cool to, to give a little bit of a, We've got some guys out here that would like to do them too, so I'm sure they'd like the the idea of it. Is it always uh, beside the boat is your ultimate goal, right? You're getting out in the flats to accomplish that, to at least start? Oh, yeah, for sure, because there's less line tension out there. Right. Um, I will do, If you ask anybody, there's like anybody that's put some time into some spins, they'll probably say that they're, some of their worst crashes are from spins. Like anytime you – add a twist to a trick yeah um whether it be some kind of mob or just a spin you just your brain i feel like your brain can it really easy to get lost like an end over end it's almost like your body your brain knows where the horizon is and it knows like it, it can figure out where it is but as soon as you add this into it you're not dizzy by any means but it's just like your eyeballs can't follow where you're going well, it's kind of like you have to stay on access as you're going 4d so it's yeah so when little... you add a add a flip into it like yeah. things start to get really weird and it's like al said like he's like you go up and he's like you look this way because his kgb is basically rotating around his head because his handle's up here and you can kind of see the the water the whole time and that's how he knows where he is in the air if he would have just stayed like face forward, like the water's down there, it's harder to, to know where you're at in the air. And if your brain doesn't know where you're at, then it can't fix mistakes well, the, that you've made. The 270 smack looks like uh, that would pretty much scare about anybody off of wanting to do a spin. Dude, dude <laughs> spins are rough. Like, man, some side slappers. I've blown my eardrum out um, once. I've done it twice. Once was trying a front flip mob, which was interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, the 270 smack is, it's pretty rough. Uh, the big thing about learning any high end trick. So I, I would call like a spin and a front flip, like level two tricks, um, like Al, like it's like the next step you got back rolls and front rolls and gainers. And then now let's do some advanced tricks, level two tricks, which would be like spins and fronts. Um, you really have to have your line tension under control. That trick is just, it's 100% line management. Um, and you cannot, I can't stress this enough. The biggest thing that ruins people on spins is they try to pass the handle before they're ready to pass the handle. They really shouldn't. And you can't huck a spin 
and it come out okay. Like it will ruin you every single time. Takes, it takes no, you like, off access, let's right? Let's just go send some spins. No, you will get ruined. Right. Yeah, ruined. Just super Just smoked. so high, the pivot smack. I think, what is there, uh, some of those videos from fly-ins or something, they give you that little quick reel of the falls. I mean, <sighs> to see the amount of velocity to the side of your head is next level. I mean, Well, you got to think, like your tower's 16 inches tall or whatever it is, plus your torso and your head, a lollipop on top, and you're like a six foot four or whatever. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm, I've got a short torso. Like I'm five foot nine and like long, stupid long legs. So I got like this munchkin torso, but you still got 40 inches below the 16 inches plus this. And man, you catch those wings is violent, like yeah. violent on your head. I've done and sometimes some... you can catch it coming and you know, I'm a big proponent for safety and man, this right here, chin to your chest, grab that thing and just if you can fetal grape, but for the most part, just, just rah, ball up, you know, yeah. just lock it in. And that'll save you on a side smack as well. Huh? That's, that's a big game changer yeah. for a side smack. Dude, huge. Like if I, if I'm going to land with a whip potential anywhere, I'm grabbing my head. If I don't know where the rope is for some reason, I'm grabbing my head. Cause I can't, the handle cannot go over my head if my arms are around my head, it's not going to happen. Like, right. I'm not, I'm, that's the safest place to be. I can't put my arms through the handles if they're like this either. Yeah. And you know, I, but if I'm coming a, in like head first, like I've done lawn darted, um, sometimes I won't grab my head. I'll grab like my knees, either like I'm doing a front flip or underneath and I'll go full fetal and I'll still tuck my chin because I don't want to, like, I want to combat, like, getting ripped apart from the ski. So, like, if the nose of the board is going to, like, come in and it's going to scorpion me out or open me up and over hyper extend or something like that, um, I can usually see that coming. And I would rather have my strength in staying fetal because I, I can. thought about that. You can stop a scorpion? Yeah, if you got your hands Correct. behind your knees. Oh, I never thought about that. Dude, when your butt touches your head for the first time, you know that you're living. You know what I mean? Dude. That's when you know you're living. I mean, my brother's like, I've never seen so many scorpions from somebody in my life. And he's talking about me. Yeah. And I've scorpion king there for a while, man. It's brutal. The but magic is under the water. Yeah. It happens to the best of us. Like he was cutting out and I don't remember what he was doing. Boat speed went up a little bit. I don't know. He got high in the water. Remember I was talking about oh, like yeah. when the ski gets high, the oh, lift goes yeah. away because of that drag. Oh, he yeah. was like, and he, <laughs> he couldn't control it. And yeah, did the skip, skip splat, you know, those oh, scorpions. Oh yeah. But I mean, I, he's a high level rider. So he was on a sharp cut and he'd yeah. like separated a rib from his chest and Oof. knocked the breath out of him. And he gave himself a concussion. Like it worked him. Yeah, I was on a pro SS and I was like, man, this is this is a lot like slalom skiing. I can rip on this baby. I go, you know, I'm doing everything. I did that for like a month and uh, I got an LE38 in the mail. Got this thing all laced up thinking I got this thing ready to go. First day, I'm like, wow, this thing turns faster. I think I got a little bit more here. 
literally within the first eight minutes, I'm on about the hardest cut you could possibly make out of my level of riding and just got bent (laughs) over. (laughs) So violent. It is so violent when you do that stuff. I mean, the first time you get a skip, Oh my gosh. You're like, I don't know what to do. Oh, I'm dead. That's what I'm, that's what we're doing. You know, that's, and that's one of those things. Like I, I've never taken the time to learn a skitter. I suck at them. Oh, I'm just you not should. good at them. We should, well, we, I, we ski with Carmen all the time and that's, that's I what know, she's, she's into. Really she loves the skitter, I mean, but it does I'm, help. Super Dave, I've seen Super Dave do like full on whip skips, like foot out, drinking a beer, like beelining through Thunderclap Alley. Like, dude, stresses me out. Cause I don't skitter. <laughs> oh, well <laughs> you need like, it. If you I ever tell do that, you, I will skip out. Yeah. Right? Like I'll cut out and it'll, I'll get, I'll get out from underneath the ski. Like this, yeah. I've got, I'm out of control. Like it's, I can't get it down. Right. Like there's no line. I don't have the weight to do it. And that, and I'll sit up bruh, and I'll kind of skip or jump or like little skitty skids. But like, it's a safety thing that I've done figure it out. So I don't do that. Yeah. Skip, skip splat anymore. Oh Yeah. There's a video of uh, Kevin Thayer, I think it is. He's coming in to do probably his front flip and mm-hmm. just gets murdered in the middle of the wake. Just, I mean, he's oh, yeah, racing was... across to do that air front or whatever mm-hmm. he does that's huge. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my gosh, I don't even know. I'm, I, don't I know think he, he died that day or... and someone helped him out. I don't Dude, know what happened. Kevin is like an Iron Man. You could kill that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, walk, I remember that video. Like, I rode with Master. I still ride with Master Lee, Mark Lee, uh, quite a bit. But um, one day we were out, and he was just like, he's a guy. We're two peas in a pod. We're like, we're going to go bigger. We're going to do better. We're just like, we go out, and we work, 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 work. And we enjoy it. Like, that's what that's what drives us. We're frame counting and trying to do tricks. And one day he's like, I'm going to go do the biggest front flip I've ever done in my life. And, you know, I'm like, yes, camera's rolling. I got it here for you, buddy. uh, He cut in it like as hard as anybody I've ever seen cut in to do a front flip. And his brain at the very last second said, no, you will die. (laughs) And so he didn't throw the front. Like he pushed on his feet and then he didn't pull on his knees. And so... Oh gosh. He he his wings left the middle of the wake on one side and then they just touched the top of the wake on the other side. Oh. And it full scorpion, dude. Just brah. And it didn't rip him out of the ski, but it broke the strap on his helmet. Like straight up blew his helmet off his head. Oh and man. You gotta understand that. Mark Master Lee, he's like five foot four, five, maybe, five foot six. Like he's a little guy. And he probably weighs 140 pounds. He's, he's a, lucky. He's a he's a eighth degree black belt in Taekwondo, like grand chief master. Dude, like I've seen that guy with some barbecue tongs, like he'd yeah. mess you up. But, <laughs> but like I don't know he, that Wake might have won that battle that day. I mean, he he was like, "Woo, man, messed that one up." He threw his helmet on the boat, and we kept going. It's the Jeez. most amazing thing, dude. That that guy is like. He's just like Pope, like strong, like bull. I'm pretty sure I would have cried for a couple days, man, because that thing was. I've seen some violent crashes, you know, and there's there's a potential to get hurt. Like Kevin Thayer, I've seen that guy knocked out twice in competition. I've seen Al blow his helmet off. Um, it can it can be pretty rough, 
Yeah, there's there's some damaging stuff. What's your worst injury you've had so far? Anything? The back deal you've been dealing with, or you have something specific? It's kind of funny because it's like I did the ear eardrum things a couple times, and that's that's, with helmet on and with flaps. That's standard. Um, it happens. Um, I haven't like I have a 13 millimeter tear in my shoulder, my supraspinatus or whatever muscle up here, my rotator cuff. Um, Ball that's chains. ongoing. Uh, I, to be honest, I'm not real sure what I did for that one. Um, there was one point when I went to the doctor to have it checked out, and he's like, "Yeah, I, I was like using my sleeve to lift my hand up because I couldn't lift my arm up." And you know, when the orthopedics like, "Oh, that's bad." Yeah. <laughs> so I got that going on right now. Um, I've got my back issue, but but the back issue I think wasn't like necessarily from one incident. Um. I think that the worst one was I went out with Kyle Gardner and Tanya um, and I was getting ready for competition fly-in at Apache. And I think it might've been the week before the, the, the fly-in. I'm like, I need to get a little bit of training in because there's always a competition. I want to do a little bit better. And I was, kind of had gotten my front flips dialed in. So I'm like, I'll add that to my bag of tricks. I'll just go do a, a or an air front. I'm sorry, an air front. And, um, I did an air front and I le- leaned a little bit too far away from the boat. Um, so air fronts, you have to stay on cut like you do awake, right? Except right. because the boat is like over there now, instead of kind of in front of you, when you, throw your feet towards the line it's really aggressive so you got to like really turn the boat to get that yank forward and i overdid it and it didn't turn into a front roll but it just basically i was falling away from the boat when i came over on the rotation and i smacked my ribs and i separated a rib on my sternum and um so i went to the the competition or the, the fly-in and I skied or whatever but when I would cut in to do a trick because it was on my left side when I would cut in I would be all tight my core would be all locked up on my right side and so my left side was super relaxed and so when I'm cutting in hard I'm still breathing I don't hold my breath but like every breath I took that rib was like pop 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 oh that's oh. nice so it got to the point to where like, yeah, I was just, I was like, I'll just ride the competition and hold my breath. So <laughs> like I would cut out wide. And then as soon as I'd cut in, instead of breathing, I would just hold my breath. So my rib didn't pop in and out of its hole. Right. But it didn't feel good when it did it either. It's, yeah. I you know, could imagine that's probably was, not how you drew it up. Well, you can hear it. It's first it's audible. Cause it like goes through your spine and into your ear. It's weird. And then it doesn't feel good. So, yeah, I just held my breath. And I think I got second place in the big air on that one. I think that was when Brett Speed went 60 frames and beat me, sucker. Um, but uh, I, I I, mean, I've had a bruise across my bicep from a line. Got lucky on that deal. Um, you know, I, I've played it pretty safe. Like watching Brian Steele ride and watching his – looking at his tutorials – and listening to how he coaches you to do things, uh, it really, and that's how my spins were. When I, 
I landed a spin and it got swatted a bunch and was like, I'm not doing spins for a while. And then five years later, I'm like, all right, I need to do spins again. But this time I'm going to learn it in a safe way. And so that was what my tutorial was, is learning how to do tricks in a safe way. And then once I learned how to do the spin, that's when I started working on the Floby. And the Floby is basically a gainer with a handle spin in the middle of it. And learning that trick with safety stops so I didn't get smoked. And I never, I mean, I landed on my back a lot on the Floby because I was over rotating the invert on purpose, but not so bad that it knocked the wind out of me or anything like that. Like it's, you kind of know it's coming and you can brace and I wear like a, a thicker vest, you know, to help absorb some of that. Um, but like, now, with are, Alice, you doing the, are you doing those at speeds like 22 or something like that? A little bit. When slower? I was learning them, I was doing it at 18 and took 20 off. Um, yeah. and I, when I was very first learning them, I wanted to over rotate the flip because I didn't want to have any kind of 270 smackers. Yeah. So I, would speed my ski up. I'd move my rear forward, just a rear wing forward, just like it maybe a 16th or an eighth inch. And it made it to where I was over rotating my inverts. And so then I could start incorporating some spin without having to worry about getting that side slap that like that whip smack. Yeah. The one that ends your day for sure. Dude. Yeah. So I, I, the one that's hard to, like the CIA, I don't, I've never tried one, but like I've watched a lot of video on it and I decided that I didn't want to get whip smacked. <laughs> Dude, cause like, yeah, the like watching these brutal. guys learn it and watching Al do it, like it doesn't take much. And then it's just straight to your chest. Yeah. And you know what that feels like from your fronts, you know? Oh yeah. 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 Those are the worst. Like our whip smacks are pretty bad, but the, the chesties are pretty rough too. Um, so like with the flow, I'm like, I can learn the flow without, with having these safety stops and get it to the point to where my brain knows where I'm at. I can feel the line tension and then I can start um, putting it together. And so once I was safe, my, I knew where I was in the air and what to do with the handle and, and all that kind of stuff. Then I bumped my boat speed back up to my normal 24 and started my attempts slowed the speed, the ski back down. So my inverts weren't all over rotated and then started doing some more. And I think I had to do like, I don't know, 50 or 60 of those to land one. I can't remember what it was. It wasn't a crazy amount. So it let me came ask a you a little it, bit faster than I thought it would. Yeah. That's, I mean, 50, 60 is pretty, pretty okay. You do a couple attempts for a couple weeks in a row. Not so bad. Um, what is your process like? So say you wanted to learn a trick like that. Are you doing that on your second run? Or are you just trying to just go out there first? I mean, you're shortening lines and changing speed. So what was that process like for you when you want to learn something new? Uh, usually like if I'm in winter time is kind of when we do more of our training. Cause you can't go super big cause the water's too heavy and you're wearing extra protection. Like in, in Arizona, we don't have to wear, well, you can wear a dry suit if you want to, but I just wear a wetsuit. Um, so I've got a four millimeter, three millimeter, semi dry wetsuit that I wear, extra slap protection. And yeah, 
to just riding slower and lower and going through the processes of um, figuring out where the safety stops are. So like the flow was no different than the spin. Like with the spin, it all starts with the jump. You know, you just go out there and you just do jump after jump after jump. And like when I'm working on something, especially like even today, like I just went riding a couple months ago or whatever it was. And it's like, I'm going to do a spin. I don't just go out and do a spin. Like because I don't ride a lot, I cut out and I do a jump and I feel the line and I feel my jump and like make sure that I'm jumping on that 10%. So like I'm on edge just enough that when you jump, you get twisted into the boat, right? Right. Um, line management, straight arm, a little bit of a jump. It's going to twist you towards the boat. And if I, I'll do a couple of those. And so like I'll cut in and I won't go back across the wake or whatever. I'll cut in before the, before the wake. And then I'm just right back out. I don't even slow down. I'm like, rip, rip, right back out. And I'll do another jump. And then after the third one, if I feel like I've got my drift fine, nah, just let it keep drifting. And then the spin just kind of lands. Um, so it's all about just making sure that your your safety zones are there. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, feeling in control, not just rushing into it. Line management is like, it, it, it really is a, I, I can't stress enough how important straight arms and line management is because if you do a spin right you basically don't have to pull the handle to make the spin happen it happens on takeoff with your line management so like you're on your 10 percent cut so you're just leaning away from the boat just the tiniest of bits and so when you jump away from the boat just a little bit, it just pulls you in. And then all you got to do is just kind of keep the handle between you and the boat and you're doing a spin. That's it. Yeah. It's so chill. Um, it, the handle pass, everybody just, they'll get up here and then they, they, they take that handle and they just, just rip it and like whack. And that's not what it is. The handle pass is basically just keeping the handle between you and the boat. That's all it is. It's like keeping tension through the whole thing. That's the timing of it, basically. Right. Riding so the like tension through. you take off, right? And it pulls on your right shoulder because I'm going to be on the driver's side of the boat. It's going to pull on my right shoulder. It's going to initiate that spin. And I'm just going to basically keep the handle moving. And that's just going to keep me spinning. If I were to jump and it pulls me on my shoulder, if I take my hands and I just move them to the outside, it's going to pull on this shoulder and it's going to bring it back. Right. And it's just, that's, that's, that's it. And so if you can get your jump and your drift, that pull on that arm to, to generate your spin. So Brian Steele called it spin torque. So, you know, I utilize that in my tutorial, like generate spin torque with that 10% takeoff. You basically the, the spin will land itself it's almost scary how easy they become when you don't force them. So is the 10% like, uh, is that your starter cut angle or is that how they're all landed just cause it's easy to control it at that cut angle? 
Yeah, so the spin's funny because like if you go out there and you do your jump, like uh, if you're doing your prep jumps, like my prep jumps, um, if I go out and I jump, and even if I drift, right, and I land where when you jump up, you use a little bit of line, right? You're going to use a little bit of line when you jump to pull yourself forward, to flatten that board out. So you're going to use a little bit of line for that. You're going to use a little bit of line to generate some spin torque, right? Right. And basically, if you wait too long in your cut, so you cut out and then you wait, like you said, you're like pulling out your sleeping bag and cooking a hot dog and oh yeah, all that stuff, right? Like if you wait, what happens is, is that switch is coming where you're now going slower than the boat. So it goes from you going faster than the boat to you going maybe slower than the boat or you do your jump and when you land, you're going the same speed of the boat. And when you're going the same speed at the boat, you're like at that slack part in the line and you sink, right? Right. So I call it a pothole. It's like you found a pothole, like boom, like you got nothing to pull you out of the water because you're, you're yeah, on the switch. Yeah, right? it's, not, uh, it's not the best time to land in the water, that's for sure. I mean, you can do, so if your jumps are potholes, you're not jumping soon enough. So if you go out there and you jump and you're sinking in and you're right at the switch, you know, uh, yeah. you waited too long or um, you're just not quite building enough speed for the amount of time that you waited, right? Because it's all about going faster than the boat. If you rail out there crazy hard, you can camp longer. You can hang out out there longer because you're going so much faster than the boat before you initiate your trick. And that's how I do it because I, I like having time to feel like it's time to go and not necessarily go because I'm going too slow. So like I rip right. out there pretty hard and then I'll coast and then I'll go. And, but I'm still my, when I land, I'm going faster than the boat. That's the key. Um, I never really, uh, not as far as the spin goes, but I've done many, many gainers and I've flirted with different places that I land. I've never really uh, understood why. I knew I was probably just a little farther, but that makes so much sense of why you're landing in a pothole now that I've heard it like, no, you're going slower than the boat. So now you have to wait a second. It's, I don't know. I just never thought about it like that. It's interesting. So like you've got a good, you've got a, a, a nice gainer and you've got all the precursors for dark side. Um, you've got a nice steep takeoff. You don't, you know, rock your shoulders crazy back. Um, there's things that you can do that will increase your uh, landing percentage. Not that you might not have that problem, but if you cut out, if you rail out there as hard as you can and you lift on your cut, Still 10% though. You lift on your cut and go. No hesitation. Like rail, 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 lift, go. Right? Yeah. That's, you will find, you can do two-handed and maybe catch a little bit more air. But for the most part, you're going to see your biggest gainers and they are going to be your easiest gainers to land because when you land, you're going so much faster than the boat. So right. you have all this line to work with because you're still driving up through your arc where if you want to go out there 
uh, Tim Batten, this guy that lives out in the Parker Strip. He's old man Tim. He's got a big old long weird white beard. Super nice dude. When he does his gare gainers, he cuts, cuts out, and then he waits forever. And then he'll do a flip right at the switch. Little tiny guy, bloop. And then like he lands like right on the brink of the pothole and then he cuts back in. And if you try to go do a, we call him a bat gainer on the boat, Tim Batten, a bat gainer. Like you cut out there as hard as you can, really far. And then you hang out and then you look at the boat, <laughs> you wave, and then you throw it. It's actually pretty hard. Yeah, right? it because is. Now you're actually throwing the flip right at the switch. And sometimes that rope comes in every once in a while. It gives you a little bit of a yank. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Uh, but that line management is important too. Like when I was learning how to do gainers, you know, a lot of people, they do these gainers and their arms are like all over the place. And yeah, you put them lower and lower. Bigger it goes, put them lower and lower. And it's, and it's not, and it, and lower helps for sure. Um, when you take off, like if you take your hand off the handle, like you, you, it's low, but through the trick to maintain that line management, it's all about where that line is pulling you from. Right. So like you're, you can have your arm like kind of down by hip and it's fairly strong like that. But like, I always just try to think of like getting my elbow and like my forearm, like right on my ribs, like tink. And it's just right here. Cause I'm super strong right here and I can muscle this in pretty easily rather than being like, Ugh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause I'm kind of like here. And can so you make like, them? You'll see my jump, like my, yeah. my gainers. And I tend to be like, like elbows kind of in. And that's how my front flips are too. Big deal. Like for me, it was like get my elbow was in on my fronts. Now, when you, when you're trying to get like the biggest air possible, how much of it has to do with, this is going to sound silly. Of course it's line, but is it the moment of line or is it have lots to do with the placement of the trick? You know what I mean? It, the farther you go out, obviously it's going to be more of a gainer, but isn't there more air potential the sooner you could throw it? Cause you got more line or not. So like everything in life, there's a balance, right? Yeah. There's a light side and a dark side. <laughs> the thing with the with with like uh, out in the flats is you have more line tension the further behind the boat you are, and so you're using the boat's pull to help elevate your air time. But you don't have a wake, right? So there's a balance between now you're basically like cut speed versus line tension. Right. So I, I had a foil tech and everybody had a, not everybody, but a lot of people had foil techs back in like the 2010, 11 era, somewhere in there. And they're very sharp. If you've ever seen one, um, it's like hot knife through butter, man. The trailing edge or the front or both? All both. of the things. Well, I mean, the front's not like crazy, crazy sharp, but like compared to like the double D forties and the air chair MV 41s and forties and all that, like they are sharp. Right. So they're sensitive. Um, they tend to be a little bit more glitchy, um, especially cut, like cutting through the wake. Um, you'll get like that weird. Just when you want to get jerked. Bug, yeah. You know that butt wiggle? Oh yeah. Yeah, so that butt wiggle, even if you're on like full torque, uh, it's it'll butt wiggle on you. Because it's funny, like I would test T-bars out by going in and out of that peak of the wake 
to see if it would wiggle my butt. Oh, you were trying like to see I if you could just... get crushed, huh? <laughs> well, no, not fast. Not fast. I'm just oh, like, just I'm dancing just checking. Through it? Yeah, when it, like when I'm tuning a T-bar, I'll just kind of cut through it, and then I'll rise up to see if there's a wonky spot in it. Because you can feel it. It'll be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, it just yeah. kind of does this weird butt wiggle. And if you, I always tell people like, don't, me- that's where the wake monster lives. Like, don't mess with that guy. Like your whole thing is like, let's get over this fence as fast as possible. So like, if you ever watch me, if I'm hanging out next to the wake, I'm on the other side now. I don't just like cruise through and flirt with that guy. Like, no, I'm just going to go right over here. Or like my brother says, just jump the stupid thing. I, um, I tell you, I've been landing these wake rolls. I've got them steep, and I land right on the other side of the wake nearly every dude. time. I'm like, dude, I have got to get three more feet so I can quit blowing my back out, landing on this speed bump. It's, <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, it's that's a hard section too because that water's rising up. That that wake's hard. So on your uh, on your on your air stuff, um, there's a balance between cut speed and line tension. Uh, if you cut out too wide you're going to lose line tension to the point to where you can no longer build speed and you'll actually lose speed. And then your frame count goes down. Um, if you go too soon, you have all the line tension in the world to do the trick safely, but you don't have the cut speed. So, and so don't just, just think a, running back towards the wake. Feeling. Isn't gonna, yeah. Nah, it's just a feeling. So like, um, you're never going to go biggest if you start, um, like if you're, your strong side, your right side, like mine, you've got to do a double weight cut yeah. because you've got to use that to build speed on the other exit. And you got to get confident in your equipment and your cut. So when you do cut back in, like I don't have to go full crazy wide like I would on my wake roll. Um, to cut back across and do a big air roll because yeah, like about in the forty fives or something in that maybe you can get an awful lot of line. Yeah, right out of I that. just I just go to the other side, you know, just comfortably wide, nothing big, and then I'll cut back hard. Now, there's an unspoken rule that I don't know. I I don't really hear it a lot, but my brother and I talk about skiing, and we used to a lot when we used to ski a lot. You never cut over a hundred percent because if you go a hundred and ten percent on your cut, you are going to get lit up. Your wing might pop out or you're going to cross the wake and generate some weird air vortex thing. And nobody knows what a hundred percent is except for the rider. Right. You'll know Just- it when you hit it because you crash. Yeah, you got to stay in your groove. So hard that you crash, you cut too hard. Right. You got to find like where's 100%, get comfortable with that, 100% through the wake, right? Building speed as much as possible and then kind of feeling when it's time to go. There's a point where you can feel terminal velocity. um, And once you get to that terminal velocity, the further you go, you're just going to stop gaining speed. So you're slowing down and you're going to start losing line tension and it'll be harder to do the dark side because you're losing line. Right. Right. Um, do you do your air roll and your gainer in the same territory or a little bit shorter for your air roll? 
They're about the same, I guess. That's what I was kind of thinking. You, you, you look very similar. So does it lead more a little bit more into like line? You've, you've, you have the line at max tension. That's really what you're going off of. I would assume. Yeah. So like there's a point where you can just kind of almost feel like you, you're no longer accelerating and that's when you go. Like once you have reached your kind of terminal velocity, you just kind of have to feel it and then go. And it's the same thing. It's a big air roll is nothing different than a big gainer, except you have two hands on the handle and you might have used just a tiny bit of arc. You know what I mean? There's not, it's really different out in the flats because the arc is not as important because you don't have the boat to pull against because the boat's out there instead of there. You know what I mean? So there's a little bit of arc. and it helps with the dark side a little bit, but for the most part, like if you just rail out there as hard as you can, and then you lift and dip at the same time, almost like sometimes you can lift and then dip, but really like looking at my videos when I was chasing the airframes, um, the air, the air roll record, it was a lift and a dip at the same time. And it almost looks like an arc on video. Um, yeah. I don't see but it's how not you really an arc because you're not behind the boat enough to make that work. Right. I, uh, the, there's not a bone in my body that says square up and jump <laughs> at that exact moment. Cause I know what you're talking about. And the Dude, closer I get to the, it, that's the spot, man. You gotta yeah. like scare yourself every once in a while. No, the, scare the, yourself. The, you feel close, like you're alive. Yeah, the closer I get to that moment, I'm like, God, there's still more to give. This is terrible. Like every time I get just a little bigger, I'm like, I could do it sooner. But Jesus, it's scary. <laughs> I mean, I went, so when Ben went 64, like I was determined. And it was nothing against Ben. It was just like, you know, I want to be number one. And. I would have been okay with 64. I would have been okay if I bettered myself and I tied him. Um, I just wanted to up my game, like get a new PR. And I would wait for, I don't know, maybe two years after he, God, I hurt myself with my ribs. And like, I just started falling apart. But um, I would go out when the water temper was right and the wind was kind of like not blowing in my face. Right. And, you know, I take my long line out, my hundred footer and strap in. And I went 63 frames like eight times and just couldn't just for whatever reason, man, I could not hit that next frame. So the thing about frames and why it's so hard to get the next frame is they increase at a geometric rate if that's the right terminology. So it's not linear. So it's not like one frame is one foot and two frames is two feet. Right. Follow. Right. Yeah. It's like 40 frames is four and a half feet or five or six feet or something like that. 45 frames is nine feet. 50 frames is 13 feet. 
55 frames is like 16 and a half feet. 60 frames is like 20 feet. And like 20, 64 frames is like 24 feet or something. So it gets really hard to go to the next frame. Right. Because that next frame isn't a half inch. It's like 18 inches. Yeah. So to get that next frame is really hard. And uh, especially when you're, you're just you're right at the physical limit of what I could do or what Ben could do apparently because he was at 64. Um, I mean, there's only six guys that have ever been over 60. And uh, it's, man, it's tough. And every time I would do it, just tired. Like when you're doing that kind of um, – effort it's so mentally draining i was gonna ask you did you think the did frame counting and doing all that stuff ever ruin it for you like drag it out of you after a while no i mean i chased it until my body wouldn't let me chase it anymore but like i would get home i and i would be deflated for sure i'd be like oh another 63 which sounds crazy, right? It, does, it yeah. really does. It's like, oh my god, another sixty-three. Like, shouldn't you be like excited? Yeah, that's not how I'm wired. Like, I'm wired to do better, and right. so it, it's just when you're out there, like any time you're you're put yourself in a position where you know that you can get really hurt. It's your brain is in a thousand percent energy suck mode man like hyperdrive and every time i would get done i'd come into the boat and i would just like crawl up onto the swim deck and and it's not even really physical exertion and i would just lay there and i kind of breathe because i mean i got good cardio i ride a bike and stuff and i would just just be like man i'm just wow that's so hard so hard you know and it's one of those things that i look back on and i and i really miss it because it's just like when the you hook one level. up, when you hook yeah. one up, you kind of know it. And it's like, you know, that adrenaline gland is just squeezing. And it's like, you got, you're sweating through the cold water. And you're like, I'm sure my eyes are dilated and I could, uh, I can hear crickets humping in the distance. Like, <laughs> I'm like just hyper focused. Man, I wonder what your heart rate makes was me at. want to go skiing tomorrow. Yeah. I wonder what your heart rate was like. You know <sighs> what I mean? Like some of the moments in those adrenaline rush moments, it'd be crazy to know that. Yeah. I mean, there's been, and you know, sometimes like when I'm like, all right, I want to try to work on tricks that have hurt me in the past. Front flips, especially like I've just been smoked on fronts every time, even to this day that I cut into the wake a little bit harder than I usually do like elevates my heart rate and i don't really get the mental drain the same way but like every single front flip that i'm like i'm gonna come in a little bit harder yeah you know just because and i never get hurt on them anymore and i land 90 percent of them now but they still just stress my brain out yeah i I haven't quite decided if i'm gonna do them again yet my arm was numb for I want to say, I don't even know what it is. I think my story's changed like 400 times because I can't remember how long it was. But I had like a tingly finger thing. Two fingers were dead for nearly like, I don't know, a month, six weeks. And then so my, I had this similar yeah, thing. 
aching stuff all the way down my whole arm. Like, man, it was just killing me. And even to this day, my neck's still a little funky. Uh, I kind of have to exercise a lot and make sure I'm doing band work and crazy things to kind of keep it on track. And it's, it's an interesting deal. Well, and like, I've never been hurt really bad. And so when you, when you don't get hurt, you almost, you get to a point where you feel invincible. Like I can't get hurt. Yeah. And then when you do get hurt, it's usually by something really dumb. Right. And and then it just makes you feel like, Oh, I'm just a stupid human. Like I should have known better. And so like your neck was all messed up. Um, I went out ski, like my back, I've had problems and I know exactly when I hurt my back. Like I know for sure. And it's not because it hurt like so bad right at the point, but it was, it was a crash where it was like, Ooh, that's probably not good. And it's not like I didn't have a zinger or anything weird. Um, and it didn't actually hurt. Uh, it, it was fine for a long time. And, um, and then I went out skiing and then I did a spin and I got a little bit of a side slapper, but not like a full on side slapper. It was just, a just a, I don't know. It's hard to describe, but like just a little bit of a slap. And I actually didn't get 270 slapped. I actually um, underspun it the other way. Like I kind of tipped into the boat instead of kind of turning and getting tipped in this way. Um, so it's like I overspun almost and then got kind of swatted the other way. But um, I didn't think about it as being a big deal. Like I was like, Mer, crash, keep, keep skiing. And um, I had burst or herniated, bulged, lots of terms, a disc and C7S1. Didn't know it. And it had also popped a rib out right near there. Right. And I went on vacation down to Mexico, driving to like just uncomfortable. Like, man, my upper back and my neck hurt so bad. And I was just like, had my wife kind of like push on it a little bit and whatnot. And, you know, I couldn't sleep because like, if I had my arm in the wrong position, like the whole back of my arm would fall asleep. And like, I'd lose these two fingers and the whole back of my arm. And, uh, when I was, I was sleeping in a chair like this, like in a, in a beanbag chair because it would roll my shoulders forward and it would relieve the stress on that. Cause I didn't know it at the time I had this problem and then I could sleep because my arm wasn't falling asleep and I sleeping in that dumb beanbag chair is what did my back in. I don't know why, but like I, it was just, it's been bad ever since it did something. So my upper, my neck problem went away, like self fixed, like it self absorbed. I right. went to a chiropractor. He was like, oh, yeah, this is out. Pop. I was like, oh, that feels way better. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, I had an MRI in my neck and then like, yeah, you got a little bulge there and had my back done and I've had a bunch of stuff done in my back. But um, it's one of those things where my I'm not I don't regret anything that I've done. And I I just I wish I could still do it. I'm 46. Like I'm just, I can't do it, man. But like, even just talking about it right now, like it, it makes 
I'm sure my neck is redder and I know my heart rate elevates. Just thinking of that feeling of just sending it as hard as you can. Like, What's it like to really, ride really now and, and, and not try to go that high? What's it? Is it uh, do anything for you at Dude, all? I'm an old man. I play the old man game, man. Turn the volume down. Yeah. Like drive a little slower. Yeah. Slowed the boat down. Um, I just run a, a, a an old Cobra. So the yeah. old Cobra that I think Brian made in 2009, um, it was his first 3D wing and it lands very soft. It's, I could probably go a little like a Skyski Max Air or something like that, which might land similarly soft, but um, there's also no power with those wings. So I still want a little bit of oomph. Yeah. Um, so I'm just more careful. Like I just try not to go, like the other day when I was out, I was like, oh, I'm trying to try to go a little bit higher on my jump because I don't ever really do that. And Mar Master Lee's got these cool big O jumps. So I'm like, I'll go see if I can send a bigger jump. And I did a 45 jump and I was like, woo, new record for my jump. Yeah. Maybe, maybe my record's 46. I don't know. But uh, so that's kind of where I'm at. Like, you know, my brother's, he's just like, dude, try some style tricks. Cause I've always just been a big air guy. Go big, go big, go big, go big. Right. If you watch my brother ride, he is like the cheese master. He's double cheese. You know, he'll do like, you know, what an undertaker is. Yep. 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 Do an undertaker floater. Why double not? Cheese, right. Yeah. So, um, he had a situation where he put his, he was snowboarding. He was into it pretty heavy, hurt his elbow, took like some time off just started air chairing with Chris Bernard and Rocky mountain hydrofork club. And then got the okay from the doc. Like, all right, you're all good to go. And went out and like the same day or within the same week or something weird, he put his arm through the handle. Oh geez. And messed his elbow right back up. Yeah. That'll deflate and you. So took some time off. And so the first year that he skied, they, he said he printed out the, the, there was a, I'm pretty sure it was USHA or maybe some other place, but he had a list and you can still find that thing somewhere. It was a list of all the tricks that have ever been invented. And from this to this to every grab you can think of. And there was a list and they just went down the list. And for a year, that's all he did was just go down that list and learn all these. I'd like to see that list. Uh, I've thought about at least getting uh, a different goal set. You know, before I try fronts again, you know, uh, I think I want to do like weight gainers. I want to do all the back flipping things. But there's an awful lot of grabs and cool things you can do with big air jumps and shifties and, you know, a lot of like flare things that I think I'll probably explore before I get into the fronts again. Just make sure this neck really wants to be screwed on straight first. Yeah. I mean, there's things that I've thought about, like Kevin Thayer does a wrapped 360. He's really good at them. Um, kind of cool, unique. Yeah. Maybe I'd try to do like an offside wrap 360. So it still spins the same direction as my front side 360. But I'm like, dude, it's so easy to get swatted. 
Yeah, the spinning. I, I don't know that I even care to do a 360 from some of those crashes I've seen. You know, you you got to pay the piper. So what, what are you going to have? You know, 30, 40 wax, you know, to learn a new trick probably? Well, I'm I, I the way that I think about stuff and the way that I analyze things, I look at that wrapped backside 360 and because of the, you're doing a jump with the line basically at the small of your back, kind of like a ball and chain, right? Right. Uh, it wants to pull you forward because you're doing a jump instead of a backflip. So like if you in, initiate a, a backflip, it wants to accelerate your flip. So you got to ball up to kill that. Well, when you're doing a jump, it's the opposite. It wants to pull you forward. And that is like death on a spin is getting forward. Right. That's when those smacks happen. And I am not willing to to gamble with that one. Not with my neck having its thing and not with my back having its thing. It that's not a trick that I feel is it's worth paying the piper. Yeah, sure. I get it. I get it. I'm I'm interested in uh I've got some goals of the fifties. I want to try to get those by the end of the year and um one thing you we, we talked about yesterday, I guess that was, was your wheelbase. And mm, uh mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever been around anyone talking about wheelbase ever, but is there like a sweet spot of how quick you want that ski to come out of the water? Like, you, you know, you know what I mean though? Like the, the ski that I'm uh, riding currently, we were using extreme wings. I don't know which ones they are. I couldn't tell you which <laughs> model I probably should. I know you know them all. Um, but I went from a set of extreme wings that weren't the biggest ones ever made. I think there were the ones before the mustache or before, mm-hmm. uh, maybe black ops mm-hmm. maybe. Um, mm-hmm. anyway, so then I got on the, the latest Phoenix XDs and those, and I mean to tell you, it feels like you barely touch it and it'll go down like barely mm-hmm. anything. It goes down mm. and it, you know, you might as well take a timer out waiting for that baby to come back up. Now I'm not a big knee yanker, so, mm. you know, maybe it would help if I yank my knees, but I was going to try to shorten the wheelbase literally from what you were talking about. I'm like, maybe that's my problem. Maybe I got to get this thing to get out of the water. It's very um, possible. Yeah. It, did it, all the wings that you've ever ridden, I know you've tested zillions of things over the years. Uh, was that a thing that comes in, you get a new wing and you're like, it doesn't feel like the last one did that I got used to riding. So I'm going to shorten it and make it feel like that. Or is it literally, um, yeah, different wings do different things. They definitely do different things. There's amazing amount of small changes that can make a huge impact in a way that a wing set rides for sure. Um, so are you going to, f- are you going to find the exact launch time on a time? So say you've ridden a set for years and you're like, I got this thing going. Are you literally going to find the same takeoff in a new set of wings or possibly yeah, not? That's kind of the goal. Um, there's a potential that you might be hunting for that sweet spot for a while. And that's one of the things that I struggled with when, um, I was switched to the extreme venom wing. So, uh, extreme wing started with the Falcon way back in the day, which is a fairly slow wing. Then they came out with the Viper. And so I picked up a Viper after I, I used to ride into orbit wings for a little while there. And then, um, yeah, air chair kind of picked them up 
when I, Marty started selling to Airchair and then Airchair had their writers kind of testing the new stuff. So, um, so I wasn't testing any of the new stuff anymore, but, uh, and I had an opportunity to try black ops and I had a Mach three that I split me and master Lee went in together on one to try it out. New greatest thing. I didn't like it, but I was pretty green still. Um, he got along with it. Okay. But he had a few things that he struggled with that particular wing. And it might've just been that wing. That's the thing. Like Jake Bradley, he loved the Mach three. Like it worked really good for that guy, but maybe his wing was just tuned not on purpose, but just a little different. Right. And so generally when you get these different wings, they have different surface areas and different shapes. And in, in the end they have kind of different characteristics, but they have different speeds. And, uh, for people that don't know what the speed of a ski is, that is how fast the ski goes up and down when you push and you pull on your feet. And you can change that speed on the, um, on the more advanced skis that have uh, various slider um, plates or inserts that can move the rear wing back and forth. So like you were talking about wheel pace, it's basically the distance between the front wing and the rear wing. Right. The closer they are, the faster the ski. Um, the fastest ski I ever rode was at the Texas Fly-In, and that was Carmen Olsen's ski. Oh, yeah. So we went out on a boat one day, and it was her and Kevin Bunch and Leland Speed and somebody else. But I rode three skis that were not my own. And I'm not somebody that does that. Like, my brother does that. He does it really good. But I don't do that. But, like, I'm, I'll take it for a spin. Man. Her, fast, her ski is so fast. Holy smokes. And I know that she darn near weighs 100 pounds less than me. She's a petite little girl. and But she's got like, a, I think it's at the time she had a Sky Ski Max Air, which is like their pretty standard LE. Yeah, it's a, it's a LE 38, and uh, she also has her foot, her feet pulled back slightly, like an inch. Yes. I think they moved everything back a little yep. bit too, so it's even so, more. And like, like you're way taller than me, but I've, my inseam is 32 inches without shoes on. Like I got long inseam, uh, compared to my height. Like I'm long legged and I'm long armed and like my gorillas plus 2.5 or some weird thing. But yeah, I got on her ski and she's got that little tiny sky ski fling rear wing. And then that little max air front wing, and they must've been mashed all the way together. And then obviously she got her feet pulled in the rear holes. And so I'm like, you know, I'm not a big guy, but I'm like, oh, I'm riding a little Gordo. Yeah. And uh, I went and did a jump on her ski. And it was just like, I was like this. I couldn't get the thing to stop wiggling. Yeah. Like it, a couple times I was just like, push my feet right into the water. Stop. She was totally fine. She does skitters oh, and she's done flips and and uh, <laughs> on the complete opposite side, I rode Kevin Bunch's ski at that same fly-in. And I think he, I can't remember what front wing he had, maybe a stash, um, but I'm pretty sure he was on either a Next Foils or a, uh, or a launch, the Sky Ski launch. And 
the entry level fuselages on those skis, they have a fixed rear wing. So you don't have that speed adjustment back and forth. It's fixed. And between the stash, I'm trying to remember, maybe you didn't have a stash on it because the stash is a pretty quick wing, but that is probably the slowest ski I've ever ridden. So on the same boat ride, I rode the fastest ski and the slowest ski. So you did great. You had a good ride on both. I'm telling you what, on (laughs) on Carmen's ski, I think I managed to do a flip. Maybe I did a spin on it, Um, but on Kevin's ski, it was it took an amazing amount of effort to land a flip on that ski like it was hard like i had to pull on my knees super hard to get it steep enough to make it do a flip and there wasn't even a big flip you know what i mean like and it's just and that was a roll so i could hang on with two hands and um i just came into the boat and i'm like bro you need to buy a rear wing because you got to slide it forward, right? That's what you're. Yeah, I'm like, you just need to. And I don't remember exactly what he did. And Kevin and I talked on the internet a bunch. Like, I kind of was did some consultation for him for free because I don't want to make money off anybody. I don't care. Um, but you know, I told him like, you know, new wing comes out. He's like, what do you think? And I'm like, don't waste your money. Buy boat gas first. Seat time. Like you don't need the new wing. It won't make you a better rider. You know, Tiger Woods golf clubs won't necessarily make you hit it further. Maybe, I don't know if you saw mine. mine maybe a little bit. Yeah, mine are pretty bad. No. So Kevin made a change and it, and it helped his riding quite a bit. Um, and so like, if it's something that you've never messed with, like you personally, uh, it's not a bad idea to try it because you know, you don't even know what, well, no, you said you're on the Phoenix XD and the Hellfire. Yeah, so Does that sound right? Yes, I think so. I think, but I've only really read, wrote them like once. So I don't have mm. a, I, I try to, I try to let things marinate a little bit. I used to be like, oh God, I can't, I can't do this. I, I you know, I want what I'm used to, but, um, I see the potential They're They're pretty great oh, sure. at tracking. They move. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think that there's going to be any problems, but I noticed that the launch is such a different timing. Like mm-hmm. it's almost so long to where I feel as though, do I need to lean back to make this thing come up more? Like, like it's changing it, my posture. Like it might be slow yeah. for sure. Because if you're pushing on your feet and the ski's not going down, or if you're pulling on your knees and it's not coming up, um, at least not what you, as fast as you're used to. Right. Uh, it definitely messes with your rotation for sure. So when you, um, when you tried mini skis, do you generally kind of sort of can fix, like, I know that they all track different. I get all that. I know that the wings are different. The speed of the ski, mm-hmm. can you make them all pretty much about the same? Like that is something I should strive to find the sweet spot or is there still going to be this area yes. of like this wing is just different? Well, your sweet spot. Because like, yes. everybody's different. But um, you can find it by moving sure. it and and you will and find the quickness. With the new skis, I've never come across the ski. And most of the time I don't mess with people's skis. Like if I ride somebody else's skis, I'm not going to like change their stuff. Unless yeah, yeah, sure. I'm on a trip and it's the only ski available, then I'll, I'll change it back. But, you know. I need this to be able to do a ride. Um, 
but for the most part, like I've never come across a wing set that I wasn't able to find this, like my, my happy place. Yeah. And you just need to find what works for you. And, and, and if you have a happy place on your old wing set, you just need to find that same happy place on your new wing set. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. I just didn't yep. know if, is that achievable? So like the speed of the ski, I should just go find that because it does exist on every wing. You just have to figure out where it needs to be. It's not like these wings ride like this, learn how to ride like that. Yeah, so like I, when I, it's funny that you say that because I took a, a full year off the ski uh, when I hurt my back and I did ride. I think I rode once within that year, but I didn't do any jumps. I took my dog on my lap and I just waved at the crowd. And I mean, to tell you what, I, that's about it, bro. Yeah. I didn't never, I didn't try a skitter, nothing. Super, super, super. I can relate when I hurt my neck. I uh, rode for five weeks and literally slalomed behind the boat. Cause I just like to ski. Dude, like you're going to be working on your cuts, but, yeah. um, yeah. So like when I got back on the ski, I was like, I, my son skied is basically the one that I built for my wife is a, uh, sky ski L E X, which is a 34 inch T bar billet, um, cut one piece T bar sharp, like a foil tech. Like you can ride with one pinky, not exaggerating. Like it's so good. But, uh, um, so I rode that little T bar, with his little Mach two and a half. And it's funny that I say little cause they were big back in the day. But like, if you put a Mach two and a half on top of a King Cobra or any of the new extreme wings, right. it's, it's comical. Um, teeny tiny wings. And I had a Falcon rear wing at the time. I picked up a, a Falcon from Chris Hauk and um, kind of a match set. Now I got the two and a half to go with the Falcon circa 2007. Yeah, And yeah. I was just like, Mer, see where, where to set it. And I put the, the rear of the, the back of the rear wing level with the rear of the fuselage. Like that's just a great starting point. And yeah. um, so I added some lift. I needed some lift on the first run. And then Mitch Humphreys was on the boat and he was like, you're trying too hard. And I'm like, man, I just, I can't get it around. Like I had lost what I needed to change in that year had kind of gone away. Yeah. But according to Andy and Brian and Mark and, and the guys that were on the boat, I was physically putting a lot of effort into the flip. Like you could see me. Uh, and that was because the ski was so slow. It was super slow. And so the next run I jammed the rear wing forward and it virtually fixed it. And then it was still slow. Um, I don't think I jammed it all the way forward, but um, I rode my buddy Brian ski and he's got a stash Viper combo on a DD 40, which is basically the ski that I went 60 frames on. Um, he rides the same lift, real similar, same speed. I got on that thing. It was over rotating everything. So I went from my slow ski where I was trying really hard to a ski that was set up properly and I was over smoking everything. But it didn't take long to find. Uh, I didn't change anything on Brian's ski. My brain just kind of was like, oh, yeah. And then everything was money again. Landing yeah. spins, like still being gentle, riding slow, <laughs> you know, feeling it out. The next day I didn't have a hurt 
back. I was like, all right, cool. I did the competition and, you know, was really chill. Just went out and did a spin, just more of a, almost just a show, I guess. But, uh, um, you know, ever since I hurt my back, the only thing that I've ever done, that's the biggest thing that I've done is an air roll. And that was 52 frames at 23 mile an hour. And I'm happy with that. Like, you know, 52 in the flats is still big. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> finding that speed, man, like you just got to kind of get it dialed in. And if you feel like you're putting a lot of effort into making things happen, then don't be afraid to change it up a little bit. You know, it's like with lift. Yeah. If you've got too much lift. It's great behind the boat because you've got that big, like that, that line tension so high that it's just so easy to put weight on your feet to keep it down. So like every once in a while, you'll watch a rider that doesn't ride very deep in the flats, right? So they don't go ever really far wide. Um, they can get away with a way more lift because they never deal with light line, right? Yeah. So they can do all their tricks close. And um, a lot of people like that extra foot pressure. But like I ride, like I do all my stuff so deep into the flats that I can't. And I've experimented with lift and man, you can get some pop boy. And if you run like a high lift ski, that's also fast, like explosive, but doesn't really generate results as far as like frame count goes and consistency goes. Cause it's like, it's like trying to tame a bull. It's a little out of control. So can more shim actually give you more frames? Like if you were trying to get into the fifties and you're like a 47, 48 person and you're, mm. you'd be considered not like super hot. Does getting super hot do that? Or it's just all still line technique, arms out, out told us we know what to do now. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, no, there's a balance and everybody's got a different balance. Like, like you watch Tory ride and like, man, that guy is on the, edge of the seat tits to knees and i, would I, love to I wrote that, his dude. ski He's, i wrote his ski and i was like oh my god i cannot keep this thing in the water it's but, so violent but yet under control it's yeah, it's just yeah, crazy to watch him ride too yeah um but uh yeah if you, it doesn't necessarily add frames um there's a balance between the speed of the ski and the lift of the ski as well so um if your ski is fast and uh but you don't have a lot of lift you can still make inverts and stuff like that happen um it's just really easy to over rotate and then because your lift is low like generally like we want to ride with a little foot pressure so we're always pushing because if you watch somebody ride that doesn't have a lot of lift you'll see them cut out into the flats and you'll see them pumping their feet, right? That's because they're maintaining their, their, their flight level by pushing and pulling on their feet rather than just applying pressure. Yeah. Right. So there's kind of a balance between that because if you've got a ski that's, uh, that's really hot, but, but super slow, it's super hard to keep it down. Right. Cause it's got a lot of lift. And then when you go to push on your feet, the ski is so slow that there's no dip. Like the ski doesn't move down at all. And so it, like all it does is throw you back 
or move the ski in a weird way and then your your takeoff is munched like all tricks are landed on the takeoff so if you've kind of find outside of that that happy medium you'll just you'll just it'll be super inconsistent so if you so, were trying to give someone advice and you're like you know i, I know this probably is an impossible question but mm -hmm. if you see spinning out possibly you've got it going too fast lift probably isn't the factor if you're just always over rotating if your chest is forward you know what i mean it's kind of like the impossible question but uh how do you know if you've got too much speed in it you know what i mean like when i'm messing with this uh, let's just talk me specifically i feel like i understand how to jump <laughs> if yeah no no yeah you definitely you have your fundamentals for sure like i've seen some videos that you're riding like you're fine um it's when you've been doing it long enough, you just, you can see it. Um, it's so just really go make it feel right. Describe. Yeah. Like I always tell people like, you know, oh, my ski's doing this or I'm doing that or whatever. And I'm like, dude, just send me some video just, and then we can go from there because somebody might be over rotating everything. They're still pretty forward on takeoff. Right. But, they have pushed on their feet so hard that even though they're forward, right, the ski is like too steep because it's rotating out from underneath them. It's not right. flying out of the water. It's curving out of the water. See yeah. what I'm saying? Yes. So even though they're forward on takeoff, the ski is still in this whoop and they're over smoking it. You know what I mean? So it's right. not the speed of the ski that's causing this problem they're pushing on their feet too hard. So like one of the things that I tell a lot of people is like slow down fast up, meaning push on your feet slow, pull on your knees fast. So slow down fast up. It's that check mark. And that hold the phone, pump the brakes. <sighs> okay. So it... I wouldn't call it slow. Like, me so what what I'm what I do that's what I'm saying though so I'm critiquing like myself like mm -hmm. so yours is a slow forward you're not like ha ha no right yeah no, uh. you don't want to go ha ha it's it's like when you're watching that rider when you watch videos of riders and they're getting ready to take off and it's really easy to see in the flats because you get this nice side view um, you can see it at the wake too but like you'll see them glide in nice and slow, right? So they're dropping and then kissing the water and then pulling. So that whole motion is your dip. So it's slow, bam. So like when you cut in, mm. it's still only a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, in I'm... a second, you can travel 12 feet or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Because yeah. the pull is like a tenth of a second. Well, so like I don't even know if you'd be able is, to see. Yeah, your dip is slow and your pull is fast. If you, if you, if you push too hard on your feet, there's a really good chance that your shoulders are going to go too far back, and yeah. then it's going to loop out, or you're going to over rotate, or something like that. Well, even and, and, if even if you've got line tension, so you're utilizing the dark side. If you push on your feet too much it's still going to come out from underneath you 
too much. Yeah. And then. Yeah. I may not, you know, it, it may sound like it's extreme, but in my body, it's like, I, I go pretty quick. I've never thought to just press. Ha. So there's the kind way. of, there's kind of a little push, like right at the end, but it's not hard. Cause it's like, you're pushing on your feet through the dip, like the whole way. And then there's just, maybe just a little ha ha, but it's not like a smash. Yeah. You don't want to push your feet down as hard as you pull your knees up. And I wonder if that has a lot to do with bigger wings too. Cause that, that was what I was feeling on uh, those particular wings yesterday when I was riding was you just like barely touch them. I'm like, shit, they're already, <laughs> I mean, they're already going down. You know what I mean? I'm, easy, easy. Yeah. So, and I mean, you know, you can send me some vids and that would be kind of cool to like, to, to watch, just shoot me some, some vids of some gainers or whatever, you know, out on the side. Cause it's really easy to see. Um, you know, there's a possibility that your ski's fast. And so it, it's wanting to dive out from underneath you or that it's fast and you don't have quite enough lift. Who I don't so know if this back one's have, more. If you don't have quite the foot pressure that you need to, when you push on your feet, it doesn't fall on its face. So getting back to, um, remember we were talking about the Venom and the Viper. Right. Right. So Extreme had the, the Viper and then he came out with the Venom. And the Venom looks more like a like a mustache, you know, real long sure. swoopy wing. And then the, the, the Viper's a lot more straight. Um, the Venom's got like long wingtips and they're thin. They're not like paper thin. But like, if you grab a venom and you just like, rrr, 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 like you can like move them. Yeah. If you grab a viper and there ain't no moving them. So, at the wake, the venom for me was great. Like it, I didn't really notice it being weird. But like, my thing is out in the flats. Like I generate a crazy amount of push when I'm going, especially when I'm like trying to push frames. Um. I would go out there and I would load up just rail as hard as I can, like I do, and then lift and go. And when I would like start my dip and then I would like go to push my feet out, it was like the ski would just fall out from underneath me. Hmm. And it had not, nothing to do with the speed. Cause like at the wake, it was perfect. I do front flips. Perfect. Um, just when I would get under there and in that really high torque situation where I would just like, you know, come down and be like, push out on my feet. It would be like, it would push out way too, like just fall out. Like it was almost like nothing underneath my feet. And then I would pull on my knees and I was just, I'd land most of them, but they were definitely over rotated and none of them were big. Yeah. So I just, in the flats couldn't couldn't agree with it so i had to to go back to the old wing and just so it would work in the flats and uh like when the superhawk came out superhawk was basically the wing that that's the wing that went 64. um i went 63 on it uh, uh my first 63 was on a prototype but it was basically the superhawk uh one of the many superhawk prototypes uh, we called that one the downward dog. They all have little <laughs> names. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, there's been an amazing amount of failures 
but it's we learn something every time right um, right and fernie's like the master of testing wings but uh that wing when it came out it was so big like it's bigger than the downward dog um and i and i think i don't know for sure because i'm not like a master tuner but uh, the leading edge was dull uh, because when the wings are thicker they need the, the leading edge needs to be duller or you get these weird i would guess that they're low pressure zones that make this the, the wing do some weird stuff yeah and so when i got that wing now this is i i got the downward dog and then went out and i got the air roll record which was 58 and i was like sweet like i was up in canada because i picked it up from ben fernie up in washington on my way to one of the pine lake fly-ins good group of people um and i think i went 56 in that water and like pine lakes really thick water lots of organics little shrimpies floating around like it's not very it's not really go big water it's really heavy right um so it's like we would go up there and like we'd go from like maybe a 0.75 positive shim up to like 0.2 like 1.25 degree positive like we would add a boatload of lift because it was so draggy but i went like 56 in the flats on an air roll or whatever with that downward dog and i was like <laughs> when i get home buddy yeah right yeah now 58 there it was and uh so when i got the super hawk i was like all right get closer to 60 yeah Woo-hoo. yeah and uh and it was a little dull so my cut speed was down and i was like my frame tap count was down just a little bit not not a lot but like you know 57s couldn't get past 57 I'm like man this swing's bigger like it's got basically the same profile like what's what's the deal and uh i had run a gps in my pocket and we talked about this the other day um the fat like i've touched 40 mile an hour on a cut like and it doesn't matter if the boat's going 24 mile an hour or 30 mile an hour like terminal velocity for me and my ski is 39.5 miles an hour touching 40. so brought my trusty old gps and stuck it in my pocket and went for a rip and i was down a couple mile an hour hmm so what's the average speed you gain like uh, generally if you know say boats going 25 and you're cutting like what is a what's a general mile per hour change is it like i mean i get that you can get to 39 but you know what i mean it's and i think that you could like you can definitely go faster like if you were to ride a foil tech bar or maybe the new sky ski apex bar or whatever they call that thing um there's definitely wing sets and T-bars. I feel that you could definitely go faster than what my terminal velocity on my ski is. But that equipment comes with flexibility, like flex in the system, uh, small leading edges. Like it's just wet noodle, man. There's no strength in them. Like when yeah, you like, load them up, who, they who just also wants to go that <laughs> they're out there. Who's You're cutting 40 something miles an hour on a ski. I mean, does that exist? I, I don't man. Like on my, on my, when I kids ski that LEX where you can ride with one pinky, 
Yeah. Like you do a burner out in the flats on that thing. And I mean, it's amazing how far, like how far past the boat, like you go past 90 degrees. That's crazy. It's crazy. But let's like riding a wet noodle. Like as soon as you go to load it up, it's like the fact that Jake Bradley did 56 frames on like, I think maybe he was on a LE 38 and some tiny wings is amazing to me. Yeah. But he's a little guy too. He's bigger now because he's been lifting weights for years. But like back then, he was a squirt, you know. Right. Um, and that makes a big difference. Like I've always been the same. I didn't start skiing until I was in my thirties, and I've always been barking at one ninety. So. Yeah, I'm uh, not exactly the smallest person. So. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I it's had to. Sh- I had to sharpen up that ski, that super hawk. Like that's the other thing. Like chasing frames sharpen up that super hark and it changed the landing and characteristics of the wing but that's where i got that 58 and a half which i had to sharpen that wing up a little bit to make it faster the thicker it was it slowed you down huh yeah so it changed the way that it lands because i don't know if you've ever heard of a relauncher oh yeah a wing that hits the water and spits you right back out because it cleans up so quick it's hard to keep her keep her under control so i turn i turn that wing into a relauncher um just by sharpening it up because you have to remove so much material to sharpen it where to dull it. It's super easy. Um, Just take the tip off. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it, it, it turned it into a relauncher and you know, Marty white helped me with that. Cause I called him up and I was like, what did I do to this wing? Cause he plays with all that wacky stuff. Right. And all his, he's got, that guy will burn your ears down. Nice guy too though. But, like he's played with all those different you know, dihedral angles and man, I used to know all that weird terminology. Yeah. He can talk about wings for quite a while. He's pretty, uh, the ones, like I said, that's the ones I'm going to try to learn to ride. So we'll see how they, they turn out. I've never ridden one where I, there was only one that he made and it was kind of an accident. And he, he, he was having a guy cut his wings um, some machine shop somewhere. And so he'd send him probably the CNC file or something like that. And the guy would cut the stuff. Right. And he would send out a couple of prototypes to a few guys. Like my brother was one of them and I was one of them. And I don't know who else he was sending to, but, uh, he sent me a wing and I wrote it and I was like, that wing's great. Cause I had a triple X and triple X is like, dude, old faithful, pretty easy riding wing, right? Very predictable. And, uh, he sent me a wing and I don't remember what it was called, but it was supposed to be the switchblade, I think. And I wrote it and it was awesome. I was like this wing, right? It's great. And I sent it to Adam and Adam wrote it. And he's like, this white ride's awesome. I'm like, all right, cool. And then we <laughs> sent it back to him. And we're like, dude, you should make that wing. And somehow he, because he, his CNC guy like mixed wings up, he thought we were riding something that we weren't. And so he produced the wrong wing. And I don't know how many of those he produced, but like when I got mine, my production ready wing in the mail, it was not the same wing. And I was like, oh, and I had anodized it and everything. I was like, oh, no. And then when I wrote it, it was the relaunchness thing, boy. 
I just could not land and keep that thing in the water. It would like hop out of the water like a flying fish. It was nuts. Huh. And um, there were a few people that ended up with it, but I ended up, I don't remember where it went to somebody some point in its life. But um, I think when I was fighting with that wing is kind of when the Area 51 wing came out shortly after that. And that was during, I don't know how long you've been riding, but there was a weird point where Airchair was kind of being sold to Nathan Sutherland and then the numbers didn't work out. Like the Nathan's bean counters and Bob Woolley's bean counters didn't align. And so Nathan pulled out and went started X-Air. And then, but then Bob Woolley still had the CNC file for Heinrich's bar. And Marty was working with, started working with Bob Woolley because Bob was like, dude, are you still making V38s? Like nothing. Nobody rode an air chair right. until Nathan took over. Started making the lightweight. Well, Bob made the lightweight board, but then Nathan came in, put a bunch of graphics out, made new lightweight boards, came out with a, I think they started work on the outlaw tower, pushed that new T-bar, Heinrich's T-bar through there. Um, I don't think they ever pushed, um, any wings so they didn't necessarily have any wings because at the time all the riders that were testing for nathan were extreme extreme riders yeah and uh um yeah so i stopped testing for n2 orbit because they he was marty was working with bob and and bob picked up brian vesley super another super nice guy that lives in hamasu and so like vesley's a, a great writer accomplished writer and so they were kind of taking his feedback. And I think maybe Pope jumped on that for a little bit there. I think maybe Pope was riding for air chair. He might still ride for air chair. I don't know. Um, and so that's when I jumped over to the extreme wings and uh, rode the black ops. That was the first one. And then my brother got the, a Cobra, a prototype Cobra, man, you know, talk about jealous kid. <laughs> like, Cause Adam lived on Lake Powell. And so, Schumacher extreme wings he'd go down with the Marins and Al and Heinrich and like he'd go Adam would go hang out with those guys and they're testing stuff out and Brian gave Adam a wing and I still have that wing that's the Cobra that I'm riding now is the one that uh, uh, Schumacher gave Adam and you just Adam had, had to be patient it. you'd get it too huh I <laughs> know <laughs> dude because <laughs> it's funny I had just bought a boat a used boat the impeller went out while I was at Powell so hitched a ride with Master Lee down there. Adam got me the impeller and he brought the wing with me. So he was just delivering an impeller while I was up there because he was working. And he showed me the wing and it was unfinished. It still had the CNC marks and all that kind of stuff like that. And I was like, you know, I'll get this thing wet for you if you want me to. <laughs> I'll ride it just the way it looks. And he's like, no, I'm not allowed to do that. I'm like, okay. That's funny. But, yeah. That's cool though. So, it, yeah, that's like uh, what the whole sport in a nutshell in about five minutes, right there, huh? Now oh it's, man, it's... there's so much more than that. But like, uh, to like go back and to to the go big stuff. I mean, that double D bar, and I know Heinrich's got a new bar that Al spoke about. Um, he's got a new bar that's coming out because that double D forty, uh, that that's Heinrich's bar. So the very first cut ones were Samson's and then the double D's the deep drill bars were pushed out by X air 
And then when um, they stopped producing those, uh, Airchair tried. They, well, I shouldn't say they tried. Um, they made the MV41, and Bob put his touches on it, and I don't feel like he went the right direction because he took the stiffness out of the bar. Um, he thought the bar was too heavy and too thick and all that kind of stuff, and it was too flexy. And so that double D40 is just, man, sweetness because it's, it's super stiff. Um, like I got lucky and got, uh, kind of, I don't know what kind of X air tower I got, but I got like a special one cause it's bulletproof. Um, went through a few <laughs> X air towers that have been folded first. Right. No, was it the second one? The second one that I got from Nathan, I folded that dude over in the first trick. Jeez, so bummed out. Not his. Yeah, that's fault. a rough day at the lake. Yeah, dude. Yeah, like land and crash and folded over first trick. That was, yeah, that's a bummer. But he Better replaced make... it. wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Um, you know he's he's good like that. But uh, you know the air chair boards and then the X air boards were great, but like they all have a life. Like there's yeah. nothing that. And there's some guys that are just like Brett Speed, dude. That boy right there, he's board killer. He going rides heavy, rides for, hard, dude. And he's freaking six foot two and weighs two hundred and sixty pounds or whatever. And yeah, he we just saw him like ride this past weekend. It's really fun to watch him ride. Dude, a lot of power, big dude, like yeah. lots of strength, and just sends it to the moon like double fronts and double backs and like yeah, and you know he's just like dude. Dude's an ox, man. His Fearless. dad's an ox too. Yeah. So, um, I think Brett still holds the record for being the youngest kid to land an invert. Really? Yep. I think he was 10. Yeah. That's, pretty... I think Tori Narens might be the second youngest, but I don't know. Cause Tori old T-bone, that kid's been riding forever too. Like, yeah. Since he was a little tiny squirt. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. We probably ought to wrap this up before all the cameras die and everything goes down. But uh, I hope that we, uh, you know, showed everybody a little bit about your techniques and uh, maybe we'll have to do it again sometime and we can always maybe review what we missed and uh, I'm sure we can do it. Uh, yeah, thanks. yeah, man. I think that uh, if there's one thing that I could say for any kind of person that's super passionate about the sport, Go to a fly-in. Yeah. I mean, what other sport can you go ride with pro riders and get free lessons and just have your mind blown for two or three hundred bucks? Like, it's true. It's pretty, it's pretty neat. Yeah, it's pretty you unique. I, I'm hoping to go to some when my daughters get a little bit older and then we'll be out of the, the young, young stages. That'll yeah, how old goal. are your how old are your littles? Got a four year old and a who seven month old now, I think. Ooh, teeny tiny. Okay. Yeah, we got the little ones going. Yeah, so you are like I'm in on the, the schedule. I'm in the mix. We got bedtimes. Yeah. We got shower times. We got dinner times. We got times for times. You know what I'm saying? I so, know exactly uh, what you're saying. I've got yeah. a nine year old and eleven year old. And we still have times. Uh-oh. Oh, that doesn't it stop. It does not change. Nope. They just start talking back. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, All right. Well, let's good. wrap it up here. We'll turn everything off. And uh, thanks that again. Good, man. All right. Thanks, buddy. I'll check you later on.